0: Order, are we ready
1: we are ready mayor
2: mayor Fingold-I, thank you very much welcome everyone to the june 1st 2021 city commission meeting before we get underway i'll ask uh, porto O'Neill, our director of communications to say a few words about the conduct of the meeting
1: thank you mayor good evening everyone i just want to share some housekeeping items for this virtual meeting This meeting is being broadcast and recorded on the City of Lawrence YouTube channel. The public chat function is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. When you are not participating in the meeting, please mute your microphone. When you are participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you are not participating in the meeting, please turn your video off. You will still be able to hear the meeting. You can turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. If you have any trouble, please send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute microphones and or turn off people's video to minimize distractions. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. And now I'll turn the reading meeting back to Mayor Finkeldy.
2: Mayor Finkelie, thank you, Porter. I'll now take roll call. Vice Mayor Shipley. Here. Commissioner Ananda. Here. Commissioner Lawson? Here. Commissioner Bully? Here. And I am Mayor Finkelie, I am present as well. And we'll now go ahead and have Sherry Riedeman, our city clerk, give us some information about the conduct of the meeting.
3: Thank you, Mayor. Um, I'm just going to provide a few procedural reminders for the virtual meeting. Commissioners, please remember to state your name and title each time you speak. Mayor, after a motion is made and seconded, please call on commissioners individually to provide their vote. Then make sure you announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. City staff, please remember to state your name and title each time you speak. When the mayor calls for public comment on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu, depending on the device you are using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute and state your name and comments will be limited to three minutes. When the mayor calls for in-person public comment, individuals should raise their hand to indicate they wish to speak. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. Please state your name before speaking and comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you.
2: Mayor Finkeldeye, thank you Sherry. The first item on the agenda is to approve the agenda. The city commission reserves the right to amend, supplement or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Would any commissioner like to um, change the agenda or I look for a motion to approve it.
4: This is commissioner Ananda. I move to approve the agenda.
2: Commissioner Larson second. Mayor Finkel There's a motion by commissioner Ananda, a second by commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda.
5: Aye.
2: Commissioner Lawson. Aye. Vice mayor Shipley.
0: Aye.
2: Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Fingoldi? Aye. Passes 5 to 0. The next um, item on the agenda is to make our proclamations. We have two proclamations tonight. The first is to proclaim the month of June 2021 as PTSD Awareness Month. I am not sure if anyone's here to speak on that. I'm not sure Debbie White is here. If not, I'll just go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas June has been declared as PTSD Awareness Month each year around the world. And whereas for centuries we have recognized post-traumatic stress disorder. And whereas PTSD can affect all ages, children through seniors. And whereas treatment for PTSD is available. And whereas it is up to each of us to know that PTSD assessment form is a major tool to seek medical assistance. And whereas PTSD Awareness Month urges all to seek help for those who may have PTSD requiring medical assistance. Now, therefore, I, Brad Finkeldy, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, do hereby proclaim the month of June 2021 as PTSD Awareness Month and encourage the residents of Lawrence to actively learn about PTSD assessment form written by the Center for PTSD Research as a tool to assist those affected by PTSD and to obtain medical assistance. Obviously a very important topic and and am um, happy to proclaim June PTSD month. Our second proclamation is to proclaim the first Friday of June, June 4th, to be National Gun Violence Awareness Day. And I believe Lena carter is here to say a few words before I read the proclamation.
6: Yes, I am. My name is Lena Carter-Brooke, and I am a volunteer with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. I want to thank Mayor Finkeldeye and the rest of the Lawrence City Commission and accept the proclamation on behalf of our local Douglas County Moms Demand Action Group. On January 21st, 2013, Hadia Pendleton, a high school student from the south side of Chicago, marched in President Obama's second inaugural parade. One week later, she was shot and killed on a playground in Chicago. Soon after this tragedy, Hadia's childhood friends decided to commemorate her life by wearing orange, the color hunters wear in the woods to protect themselves and others. The Wear Orange event grew from this effort and officially originated on June 2nd, 2015, what would have been Hadia's 18th birthday. Now it is observed nationally on the first Friday in June and the following weekend each year. This year, National Gun Violence Awareness Day will be this Friday, June 4th, followed by Wear Orange Weekend, June 5th and 6th. Wear Orange is a non-political, non-partisan campaign which amplifies awareness for gun violence prevention and honors the survivors of gun violence. While we begin to emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic, A variety of Wear Orange virtual events will take place in every state and Washington, D.C., bringing together gun violence survivors, students, families, elected officials, community leaders, gun violence prevention activists and volunteers, faith leaders, business partners and more. People who believe we can and must solve the problem of gun violence in America. We will stand together virtually in a bold statement of resilience and fortitude as we advance our efforts. Buildings, landmarks, stadiums, and arenas across the nation will be lit orange this weekend, including our own Watkins Museum in downtown Lawrence. We encourage everyone in Douglas County to wear orange throughout the weekend. We will have several local events in which people can participate. At 10 o'clock this Friday morning, Douglas County Moms Demand Action volunteers will be collecting much needed toiletries, school supplies, cleaning supplies, and other items, please, all new, not used, for Willow Domestic Violence Center at the South Park Playground between 11th and 13th Streets on the west side of Mass, so across from the gazebo, that's 1141 Massachusetts, When you bring your donations to the park, please join us in tying an orange ribbon on a tree to remember victims and survivors of gun violence. Our Kansas Wear Orange virtual event will be at 9 o'clock this Saturday morning and will last about an hour. You can get details about these events by texting the word ORANGE to 64433. You'll need to fill out a registration to get the Zoom link to join us for the Saturday virtual event. Thank you so much.
2: Elena, thank you very much. And I will go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas every day, more than 100 Americans are killed by gun violence, alongside more than 230 who are shot and wounded. And on average, there are more than 15,000 gun homicides every year. And whereas Kansas has 403 gun deaths every year, with a rate of 13.7 deaths per 100,000 people. Kansas has the 22nd highest rate of gun deaths in the US. And whereas cities across the nation, including Lawrence, are working to end the senseless violence with evidence-based solutions. And whereas protecting public safety in the communities they serve is a mayor's highest responsibility. And whereas support for the second amendment rights of law-abiding citizens goes hand in hand with keeping guns away from people with dangerous histories. Whereas gun violence prevention is more important than ever as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to exasperate gun violence after more than a year of increased gun sales, increased calls to suicide and domestic violence hotlines, and an increase in city gun violence. Whereas anyone can join this campaign by pledging to wear orange on June 4th, 2021 to help raise awareness about gun violence, Whereas by wearing orange on June 4th, 2021, Americans will raise awareness about gun violence and honor the lives of gun violence victims and survivors, and renew our commitment to reduce gun violence and pledge you all we can do to keep firearms out of the wrong hands and encourage responsible gun ownership to help keep our children safe. Now, therefore, I, Brad I, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, to hereby proclaim June 4th, 2021, as National Gun Violence Awareness Day and encourage all citizens to support their local community's efforts to prevent the tragic effects of gun violence and to honor the value of human lives. Thank you very much. And uh, I know, thank you for doing this and and all that you do. I follow a few of you on Facebook. So I know you do a lot of uh, other activities um, throughout the year, including during the legislative session. So I appreciate all your efforts and keeping our community safe
5: thank Thank you. you all
2: for being here okay with that we'll move to the consent agenda all matters listed on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be approved by one motion there will be no separate discussion on those items if discussion is desired that item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Although any items the commissioners would like to pull off the consent agenda? Seeing none, if any member of the public would like to pull an item off the consent agenda, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature, or if you're present at City Hall, you can let Sherry know.
3: This is Sherry Riedemann, city clerk. Mayor, no one has indicated they have an item they wish to pull.
2: Sherry, if you're talking, I can't hear you. Oh, sorry.
3: Thank you, Mayor. Uh, sorry about that. Sherry Riedemann, city clerk. No one has indicated they have an item to pull.
2: Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Sherry. I look for a motion to approve the consent agenda. Chair move to
3: approve the
5: consent agenda.
2: Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Finkel aye. There's a motion by Commissioner Ananda a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda.
5: Aye.
2: Commissioner Lawson. Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley. Aye. Commissioner Bully. Aye. Mayor Finkel aye. aye. Consent agenda passes five to zero. We'll now move to public comment. The public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the Commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the Commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the Commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. If any member of the public would like to make general public comment about something not on the agenda, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. Or if you're present at City Hall, let Sherry know and she'll call upon you.
3: Chris
7: Flowers. Hi, this is Chris Flowers, I guess um, city commission candidate now, but um, I'm here because of this, the government, uh, the study task force, I guess. Um, Last week I went to, I guess their final meeting and it was a bit late, but I came up with this idea of they, they're talking about going strictly to districts and having one mayor. And I'm kind of against that. I don't think that's really fair for renters. But the point I brought up kind of late is that the, it's the question, do you have to live in the district to run for it? That I presented this idea because what it does it allows renters flexibility to move around and not be, because we know there's an affordable housing issue and we've talked about that. And if we're telling our city employees, you don't have to live in Lawrence because of the housing availability and how it might be hard to get a housing affordable for you. Won't it be hard to have renters commit to four years of living at the in in their district. When, if we go to six districts, that's what, like one sixth of Lawrence. If, if you want to move and you're a renter, you're going to have to find a place you can afford and you're only going to have one sixth of the, the city, you know, to find that. And also I've been thinking more about it. Like what, what about when it comes to domestic violence issues? If, if there's someone who's in an abusive relationship and they are on city commission, are they going to have to make the decision? Do I stay where I live in order to serve on commission or can I move and still be allowed to represent the district? Cause really I I don't think you should have to live in the district to represent it. That's just, that's, just someone's ideas that you have to live there in order to represent it. Let, let the residents decide who they want representing them. And I don't think the study task force came up with, they, I don't think they made a decision about you have to live there. So I'm going to, when it comes up to city, I'm going to be talking about this. So I hope you guys start thinking, do you have to live in the district to represent it? And also I think we need to do some kind of, Lawrence listens because some of this stuff is up to like what people what people's values are but do we actually know what the citizens values are when it comes to what they want in the government if we don't ask them I mean we're just what doing a study task force and we're going to make decisions about what Lawrence wants based on that without asking the people of Lawrence so, I mean we've asked them on other yeah. stuff so thank you.
3: Is there anyone who would like to provide general public comment? That's all the comment, Mayor.
2: Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Sherry. We'll now move to the regular agenda items. Regular agenda item one is to conduct a public hearing regarding the structure located at 1616 Main Street. Brian, do you get to present this?
8: Yes, Mayor. Uh, Good evening, Mayor Commissioners. Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager for the City of Lawrence. Uh, Mayor, it's actually 616 Main Street, not 1616. Um, Just wanna clarify that. Um, Tonight before you, you have Resolution 7369. Um, To give you a little bit of background, back on April 6th, a couple months ago, you adopted Resolution 7365 on the consent agenda to set the public hearing date for tonight regarding the dilapidated structure on Main Street in accordance with uh, Kansas statute. After that um, resolution was adopted by the commission for two consecutive weeks on April 10th and April 17th. That resolution was published in the local newspaper. Um, I then um, per state statute mailed that resolution to the owner of record, Miss Patricia Long on Monday, April 12th at her last known address which is also 616 Main Street. So we complied with the publication and notification requirements of state statute. To give you a little bit more background that was on the April 6th agenda. Uh, we have um, had many code cases on this property in the last several years. Most, most of those were for mowing of, of weeds and grass on the property. On um, August 10th of last um, year, 2020, we received a complaint about the overall condition of the property. Um, there's also another resolution right after this that i will sort of um, combine tonight um, for the for the sake of time Um, but we'll talk about the vehicle as well here in a little bit Um, so in august of last year we had a um, complaint we investigated we sent notice to the property owner i believe on april 12th or 13th uh, excuse me august 12th or 13th Um, we never heard a response from miss long Um, it's a little bit odd in this case and the fact that we um, don't have um, any address for the, for the owner. We believe she lives here in Lawrence, but we don't have any idea where. So we have had no response. So once uh, spring and uh, early, early summer came around, actually um, just recently as a couple of weeks ago, on May 19th, we uh, executed an administrative search warrant to document the full scope of deterioration of the house. And those are pictures are attached um, within this agenda item. I think the pictures speak for themselves. Um, we didn't have any idea how bad the property was until we went inside. And um, in my opinion, this house is probably not a a financially feasible uh, rehab just to do, due to the um, to the extent of the deterioration. In my opinion, this would probably be a demolition. Um, or whoever may own it, either by the current owner of record or someone else that owns the property down the line. Uh, The the resolution tonight is if you adopt that resolution at our recommendation, that would basically give the property owner until July 1, 2021 to either do one of two things. The first thing would be obviously to get a building permit and and, um, start or begin a extensive rehabilitation of the house. And the second option would be obviously to demolish the house in its entirety and, and have a code compliant, va- excuse me, code compliant vacant lot. I'll share my screen now. Here's the property in question. I hope everyone can see that. Please let me know if you don't. Um, This house is on the east side of Main Street 600 block. It's a one story on a walk down cellar um, foundation. Um, There's the west elevation there. Um, The vehicle that we'll talk about shortly after this resolution consideration is a uh, Ford Taurus. As you can see, it's uh, got a broken out rear window, flat tires, it's got expired tags. By the definition of inoperable vehicle in the city code, property maintenance code, this this meets that code. Um, Basically, to have a vehicle on private property, you need to have it um, licensed through the state that it's um, issued and it needs to function its full um, capacities of of an automobile, which is obviously uh, being licensed to drive on the street and being operable to drive on the street. Looking at the porch, this is a view straight, straight um, east, uh, excuse me, west elevation. This um, part of the uh, ceiling of the porch has, has begun to collapse just um, left of the front door. The second picture here is um, looking straight um, north. This is the porch roof. You can see deterioration at the roof line um, leaning there significantly. Um, There's the downstairs uh, walk down cellar that I I mentioned just a a minute ago. This other uh, south elevation rear porch, this is most likely an addition at some point. Um, You can see some of the wall is is failing. The um, floor assembly for this porch is also failing. Um, These next pictures are, are us going inside the house. This is the door on the south side, right off that porch that I just showed you above. Here's the bathroom on the right of that picture. Um, we were a little shocked because you cannot see this hole from the exterior. Um, you, um, it was not visible. Um, the entire roof assembly of this, port, uh, this bathroom on the east side has collapsed as well as the floor. Um, there's a um, remnants of a um, toilet there. Here's a couple more pictures of the um, bathroom. It's in complete disarray. Um, It's obviously not been used for a very long time. Going into the living room, here's another portion of the roof that's collapsed. Um, It's obviously um, easy to say that the the roof has has, um, failed in numerous spots. Um, It was difficult to walk among this area inside just due to the amount of uh, personal belongings and trash and debris. It's almost as if someone piled up trash in every room and just simply walked away from this. Um, Here's another picture of looking towards the south of the kitchen in the upper left-hand corner. The roof has, uh, the ceiling has given away. Um, These are two bedrooms. You can just see the amount of personal belongings that are left in the house, on the floor, strewn about on the doors. These are what the, the house looked like back in March. Um, it hasn't changed any. I won't go through all of these, but you can see that the condition is, is pretty bad. So with that, I'll stand for um, questions if you have any. Um, we recommend the adoption of the resolution that will set the motion in play where the owner will either need to uh, repair the um, structure or demolish it. If the owner failed to act, um, we would then take um, the lead in that and we would go through the demolition process and obtain bids. And then we would demolish the house and um, bill the owner. And then according to state statute, if the owner failed to, to pay us in return, we would then apply a um, tax assessment to the to the property taxes on this property.
2: Mayor Fingalai, thank you. Brian, any commissioners have questions for Brian?
0: Vice Mayor Shipley. Sorry, Brian. still got his uh, um, screen up. Um, uh, Brian, Brian, thank you. I, I know this is a very difficult part of your job and, and watching you the last six or so years. In that time, I've never seen one come that someone didn't uh, respond to you and even, you know, some arrangements be made. And I'm a little concerned about that. I mean, you've been doing this for many months, so maybe it's not that unusual. Um, But one of my concerns is perhaps this person is deceased or is in care somewhere and simply has no knowledge of this. And while you have a great point that it does not seem very salvageable, the land still has value. So um, can you talk to me about um, the history of that, or your feeling, your, your thoughts about why you haven't been able to find this person.
8: Sure. Uh, Brian Humanis, Code Enforcement Manager. Great questions, Commissioner Shipley. Couple things that obviously I should point out. Um, during our visits to the property, there is mail coming to that property. In fact, um, during our visits, sometimes the mailbox is completely full. We'll drive by a week or two later and the mailbox is empty. Um, we also have a long-standing neighbor about two or three doors down. I talked to her a couple weeks ago, actually the day we did the search warrant. Uh, she's been in the neighborhood, I, I believe since the mid eighties. And so she knows everyone in the neighborhood who's come and gone, gone over that time. She is, she is, um, um, con- she is positive that Miss Long is, is alive here in Lawrence somewhere. Um, and the reason she believes that is there was a, a, a handyman doing, um, work on the house immediately to the um, south of this house and that person somehow found her um, her contact or whatever and asked her about buying the property of course this is you know third-hand knowledge so I may not get it all right but um, allegedly Miss Long told that person that she was not interested in selling the property to him in addition, a few days after I spoke to this nice lady on the street during the search warrant, she called me and gave me an email address for Miss Long and said that um, somebody within the neighborhood found the email address and, and some document that was lying on the porch. As you can imagine, um, there's a lot of stuff that is probably falling in and out of that mailbox if someone's not checking the mail on a regular basis. We did send an email to the um, um, asking for uh, contacting us based on that email that we provided. Uh, we did not get any type of undeliverable message saying it was an invalid email and we did not get a response back. And, and that was back you know, when we did the search warrant. Um, I'm pretty confident that um, we, we just have an owner um, for whatever reason um, has not taken care of the property and is missing in action right now Uh, and one more important thing i don't know the date on this my staff doesn't either when we had a a weed case on this several years ago uh, my staff happened to drive by to take a look at and found um, miss long actually at the property and spoke to her at that time unfortunately we did not get any contact information for um, during that during that visit Um, now that's the information I have, and some of that's obviously very recently, as, as recent as two weeks ago. Um, we will continue to search for her, and if these resolutions are adopted, and I obviously we will um, we will send them back um, back to the address. Um, when we send something certified, we do get notification that um, whether that that was claimed or unclaimed. Um, I've I've received one property um, mailing that showed it was unclaimed. I have not uh, received any notification from this property yet. So it could very easily be later this week or next week where I get notification whether that certified letter was um, claimed or not. Um, So those are the comments I have for you regarding um, the whereabouts of the owner.
2: mayor Fingale, thank you for that brian other questions from commissioners this is a public hearing item so i'll go ahead and open the public hearing if any member of the public would like to speak on this item please raise your hand using your raise your hand feature or if you're present let sherry know and she'll call upon you
3: chris flowers
2: hi am. Um, this is chris
7: flowers and i was just wondering um, I'm, I've, I like to watch the show Hoarders. You know, I've seen that in the past, and I'm just wondering, has the city? I, I mean, I don't think this is just an issue of her ignoring stuff. I think it's an issue of hoarding, and I'm wondering, like, has the city reached out, like, trying to get her help to like Burton Ashton? Because I think the problem might be a hoarding problem, and. I I just I don't like tearing down property like if you watch hoarders usually the bad guy in in the show is the city who's trying to you know take away the hoarder's property because they're they've let it go like what we're seeing in here so I I think the person needs like help with a hoarding issue and I I don't I'd prefer we try to work on that before trying to take like demolish the house and the, remove the car. So it's just my thoughts. Thank you.
3: Is there any other public comment on this item? That's all the comments there.
2: Mayor, Mayor Finkel, I thank you. I'll go ahead and close the public hearing, bring it back to the commission for Comments, emotions.
0: Vice Mayor Shipley, if I may, just one last eventuality. Um, in the event that you never are able to contact the owner and it's demolished. So that occurrence a cost that goes on to the tax bill. And then let's say you still never hear from them. Ultimately, does that end up at auction at the county? Is that how that would work if, if no one ever hears from this owner?
2: Brian, you're muted. Mayor Vingler.
8: Thank you. Brian Jimenez, code enforcement manager for the city. Um, I don't know exactly the the process and protocol for when a a cell goes on a property for failure to pay taxes i think i checked the tax taxes on this and they aren't overly delinquent if they are at all um that's a that's a that's, that can be a several year process for example um i've seen i've seen properties where there may be three to four years of taxes not being um, paid and we contact the county and it may be a year or so out before um, before that goes to sell. Um, and then of course, there's always a redemption right where the owner has the opportunity or a mortgage company to pay that outstanding tax bill. And then that that sale will be terminated. Um, ultimately, if we had to apply it to the tax roll on this and um, the property sold, that, that would be an outstanding lane that would need to be um, taken care of during the transaction. Um, process of the property changing hands.
2: Mayor Finkeldeye, I I actually did look that up because I was curious and the taxes were paid through 2019. So um, the 2020 taxes have not been paid, but under the the statute, it's basically three years before they can start the process and be the fourth year that we go to a sheriff sale. So we'll look in And again, you know, this would be a lien on that property. So we'll probably still at least two and a half years before we go to a, to a property tax sale, assuming she, at some point doesn't pay the 2019 taxes. I was curious as well. Um, Other comments or motions?
4: This is Commissioner Ananda. I'd move that we adopt resolution number 7369. mr
2: Larson, second. Mayor Fingledeye, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner bully Aye. Mayor Fingledeye? Aye. Passes 5 to 0. We'll now move to regular agenda item number two, which is to consider a public hearing regarding the inoperable vehicle located at 16, oh, excuse me, I said that wrong again, 616 Main Street. And Brian, I don't know if you have much more to say, but go ahead. Um, The only
8: comment I would have is uh, the resolution 7374 um, it, I won't go into the great detail of, of that, but it just basically there's two, uh, there's a violation of an inoperable vehicle. It's not li- currently licensed. It's, it doesn't appear to be running. That person would need to show us that. It's got a broken out window and flat tires. I believe it's been there uh, much longer than August of last year. Um, I would just um, recommend that, we, um, that you would adopt Resolution 7374, and we would also have the same uh, month time limit um for that vehicle to be removed if in fact we would unfortunately have to demolish the house um most if not all contractors would want that vehicle removed um to be able to to safely get in and and and, and demolish the house and and remove um, the debris from the from the property that's all i have thank you
2: mayor Finkeldeye thank you any questions for brian Seeing none, this is also a public hearing item, so I will open the public hearing. If any member of the public would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature or let Sherry know if you're present.
3: There's no comment on this item
2: there. Mayor Finkeldeye, thank you, Sherry. I will close the public hearing and bring it back to the Commission for comments or motions.
4: This is Commissioner Ananda. I move that we adopt resolution number 7374. Mr. Larson, second.
2: Mayor Finkeldeye, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda?
4: Aye.
2: Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Boley? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye, passes five to zero. We'll now move to uh, regular agenda item number three, which is to conduct a public hearing regarding the structure located at 1510 Wedgwood Drive. Brian.
8: Thank you, Mayor. Brian Jimenez, code enforcement manager for the city of Lawrence. Um, this will follow the same exact process as our previous item. Um, the, uh, unlike the last item, um, we know who the owner is located and we have spoken to this individual um, numerous times over the last um, several years i'll go into a little bit of detail of that um, tonight you're looking at a single detached house on a slab foundation with a attached carport it's located on the east side of the block at 1510 wedgwood we're asking consideration tonight for adopting resolution 7368 declaring the structure to be unsafe and dangerous and ordering the property owner to commence and complete substantial repairs or demolish the structure, but also by July 1, 2021. At your April 6th City Commission meeting, you adopted Resolution 7364 that simply uh, set this hearing date for tonight. Um, We followed the exact same notification protocols for 616 Maine. Uh, The resolution was um, published two times, April 10th and 17th in the Lawrence Journal World. A copy of that resolution was certified, mailed to William Lehman, owner of record, on Monday, April 12th to his last known address and to comply with the state statutes. Um, On the April 6 agenda item, um, I gave you a very lengthy chronology of what we dealt with on this property. I I will hit the highlights. Um, In October of 2017 is when we first got started with this property um, a long time ago. We started to Work with Mr. Layman to try to get results. Um, there was notices and, uh, and orders to correct violations. Um, there was um, written appeal submitted by him and then later withdrawn. Um, he eventually did get a building permit to do work on the property in May of 2018. Um, that permit was uh, ex- uh, extended 180 days as as code permits. Um, it was eventually. Um, closed out for lack of um, activity. Basically, when you get a building permit you, um, at the discretion of our, our staff, our plan review staff and bill, uh, permit technicians, we can extend permits and we do that very commonly. This is not an um, a odd event by any stretch. Um, but what happens is if you don't do any type of work that requires inspections, um, we will close that permit out and that's what happened in 2019. Um, we continued to work with Mr. Lehman into uh, late 2019. Um, he recontacted our plan review staff in November of 2019 to try to get the, a, a new building permit application rolling through our system. Um, that, that communication with our plan review continued but nothing happened. Um, there were some, um, some requirements that weren't met and in July of last summer, our plan review staff um, notified him that 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 submittal of a building permit not approval just the submittal was basically closed out for lack of um, activity um, to prevent uh, t- excuse me to present the required documents um, that we needed t- um, to be given to issue that permit there is a owner occupant provision in our building code that allows an owner to act as their own contractor and they sign an agreement with us. They are supposed to live within that structure for one year after completion of occupancy. Um, so that would have been required for Mr. Layman on the first and second building permit application process. Um, with that um, lack of um, completion of anything that re- um, needed to be done for the building permit, um, last September, we completed a um, administrative search warrant to also go, excuse me, also go look at that property. Excuse me, I need some water. So we went in in September of last year and completed a administrative search warrant. Um, I will pull those pictures up and share those with you. Hope everyone can see that. Um, this is the property. This is looking at the streetscape, looking directly east. Um, as you will see, there's four vehicles in the driveway slash yard that are um, that are not licensed, um, currently registered um, through the state of Kansas or another state. Um, they've been in that same location since um, November of 19 and probably a little bit longer than that next picture here is showing you the siding has been removed all windows have been removed the front door has been removed and this situation has been like this going on four years coming this October here's a little bit closer view of, of the um, west side you can see there's a hole there um, this this is um, obviously this wall exterior wall sheathing is not meant to be permanent I mean you, you apply a wall covering over this and paint it and and all that good stuff. So this is just um, something that would be underneath that you would obviously never see. Um, This here is the south wall. There's the studs. Um, Most of these houses I think were built in the 50s in the same type of construction. You probably wouldn't see this type of construction in today's world. Um, um, Insulation would be obviously applied on on this side of the wall. Um, Going to the backyard. Um, there's the vehicles that we'll talk about in a second, so I'll I'll skip over that. Here's the uh, east wall of the house. Um, If you zoom in, you can see extreme soffit um, deterioration, basically just left of this window here, all the way to the northeast corner of the house. And if you look real close, you can even see some of the um, roof roof assembly, uh, um, wood has been rotted near near the uh, fascia. Here's the inside of the house, and basically the house has just been gutted. Um, I think Mr. Layman had good intentions to um, to rehab the house, but um, you know we could we could never get him on course to um, you know complete anything. Um, so this is looking at where the front door would be. So this is looking at the um, west wall of the ins- uh, of the house. Um, this is a, a bedroom where it appears he's just using it for um, some type of personal storage. Um, this is the where the living room would be. This is looking that wall there that's sheetrocked is actually the south wall. You can see daylight coming in um, on the right, which is the west wall of, front of the front of the house. There's miscellaneous tools and machinery stored there. Um, just another bedroom full of storage. Another bedroom. basically, there are three bedrooms on the east side of the house and they're just all full of uh, what appears to be personal storage. Uh, mechanical probably needs to be updated. Um, here's where the kitchen would be. Um, as you can see, it's it's gutted. You have electrical wiring just hanging here. Um, there are there are no current services there. Electrical, mechan- uh, Excuse me, electrical, water, and I believe um, gas have all obviously all been terminated for several years. Here's the bathroom, uh, also in a um, state of disrepair. Um, Picture of the tub. Here's the view from the street, looking directly to the east. Um, here's a closer picture of the west wall. Here's a, another view, looking basically towards the south. As you can see, this these boards are starting to cup in weather because you know they're not meant to be outside for many years without any type of um, ex- you know, permanent um, wall coverings and paint. Another view of the south wall. I think you um, get the picture. Here's the um, north uh, wall, yeah. which um, basically th- this top part is the carport that extends out. Um, so basically every wall of the exterior is, is not um, weather treat- protected with any type of siding. Um, there are a couple windows here, unlike the, the front of the house. Um, here's the rear as you can see any gaps there of siding is is basically it's it's rotted and it's fallen off Um, you can see um, water water stains uh, from just being rained on or or snowed on over the course of time Um, another good view of of the rotted um, roof members on the ends there, exposed to the elements Um, just another view there Here's the carport that's attached to the house. You can see up here by the gutter, the gutter's off. That's not a huge concern, but obviously, um, all the trim and the the framing of of the um, carport is is collapsing and falling down. Um, The posts are severely rotted at the base of the um, carport um, floor. Just another view, another good view of the rotted uh, soffit on the east side of the house and then of course i'll talk about the vehicles when we look at the resolution uh, number 7374 all these vehicles do not have tags and i'm pretty confident they have not moved at least since november of 2019. the pictures that i took um, in early may show the exact location of of the cars and obviously the ones in the back all these cars would have to be moved for those in the back to be moved. Basically city code requires any car parked in a rear yard to be on a proof surface, which is a driveway, um, concrete asphalt, they're just parked in the yard. So that's a violation of code. And then as we mentioned earlier on 616 Main, um, to be an operable vehicle it has to be currently licensed through the state it's registered in. And it has to perform its function of, of driving down the street and, and, and being able to transport people. Just another picture of the cars and these cars have been in the same exact location since at least november 19. um since we talked about um taxes property taxes um i don't know if commissioner fieldai has looked at this property property taxes on this property have not been paid since 2014. Um, and so there's a significant backlog of money owed to the to the county Um, We recently were in contact with the county last week. Um, Mayor Finkeldine might have the right terminology for how they get to the point of the sheriff's cell, but that has already happened. And that cell will occur this summer. They do not know a date for us at this point, um, but it it will be scheduled. Um, So if that does happen, um, which is kind of unique. It doesn't happen very often when we're trying to improve a property. Um, we would probably have to stay in close contact with the county and, and figure out the date. Um, I probably don't wanna have to tear down a house um, if it's in the process of going for, uh, for sale. So we'll have to just sort of tiptoe around that. It's a, I think it's the first one I've had where they match up that close together. Um, now there also is the redemption period where the owner could pay the taxes in full and the sale would, would be terminated. But I thought that was important to, to tell you because I think that, t- that shows you the totality of the circumstances here where we have a very dilapidated house that's been stripped, seven vehicles on the property in violation of city code that don't run, aren't licensed. And then on top of that, we have property taxes that have not been paid. And um, I think the county's probably a little behind because of the pandemic and, and so forth. Um, but they did confirm late last week that this will go to sell at an undetermined time, unless um, the property owner pays in full the taxes that are owed. And with that, I stand for questions. Thank you.
2: Although, Mayor Fingaldi, are other questions for Brian on this matter? And I had looked at the taxes. I did see it as five years past due and going to sale, so. Seeing no questions, I will go ahead and open the public hearing. If any member of the public would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature or let Sherry know if you're present at City Hall.
3: This is Sherry Reedman, city clerk. Mayor, no one has indicated they wish to speak to this item, but I believe the property owner is on Zoom. I don't know if you wanted to ask him specifically if he wanted to provide comment. Okay, it looks like he has message that he has. Um, So Mr. Lehman, you can go ahead and um, unmute and state your name and provide your comments.
9: Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I thought this was going to be, I was going to actually be present. Uh, I thought it was going to be later in the agenda, but I'm still um, ready ready to comment. Um, uh, The first thing is that um, in dealing with um, Mr. Jimenez is his lack of candor. His narrative uh, in the April uh, item uh, left out some things and he at the very least misstated. Um, what he left out in his narrative in April, and um, the reason for this lateness of this comment is that I wasn't aware of this going on. Sorry, I don't read the journal world, the legal notices. I did not receive the documents. Um, and then a friend who does follow the city commission um, asked me about the address, and that's how I found out about it. So what he does leave out is that he actually um, brought this before the municipal court and the exact same items and the, the, the comments are, are uh, it's not in this particular case, I wouldn't necessarily say a charge, but um, the exact same items that are before you now he brought before the Lawrence municipal court. And on 5 2019, um, I was found not guilty. And so I find it interesting that after having lost in a court of law, and um, you can come to your own conclusions on why the city prosecutor did not refile charges, Um, but there weren't. And so uh, I prevailed in the case then. And, And one of the things that he glosses over is when he talks about the condition of the building, each time when I had the building permit, I did do work on it, as you can see, for example, the bathtub was going to be removed and that steps were taken being taken and each time working through it. I had other issues that came up in dealing with family members and illness and then we had COVID. Um, I did submit another building permit as it, um, was mentioned. Um, it was kicked out because of the um, being within the historical environments of the cemetery. And so that was another item that I had to figure out how to deal with that. So... The other item is, so already you can call it whatever you want. I call it lying through a mission of leaving out the fact that he lost in municipal court on the very same items. There is electrical service. I pay the bill every month for electrical service, gas service, and water service. And so whether or not they are to the building is not relevant. In other words, there is water service. Um, If you're working on a building, you turn the water off, so that you don't have a problem with leaks. If you're working on the electrical or you're going to work on the electrical, you don't have the electrical to the building, you have it turned off, but it is still hooked up and the service is active. So those are the main things is, um, regardless of what happens here, uh, I'm still gonna go ahead and get a building permit. I was down there at the city today. I requested a copy of all the information in the file. Normally it's provided to you immediately or near immediately copying, but the, person at the front desk after checking was told now i had to do an information request and submit that and wait and that could take a couple of weeks so that's fine um like i said i'm still going to be filing a building permit um so my only um concern is that of dealing with mr eminez and his uh as i said before he at the very least lying through omission not talking about the the court case dealing with him um my concern is and i've actually had that conversation with other staffers of him trying to interfere with me receiving a building permit to the point where one staffer said that they had to tell him to just deal with his department, they would handle the permits. So my only concern is the July uh, 31st date for a cutoff with waiting for the permits. If the permit process is extended for three or four weeks, then there's no time. That's my only concern. Um, as far as regarding redoing the building. Now, um, the issue with the person being ill, they're no longer here. So I have, you know, hundred percent of my attention to deal with this. Now, that's all I have for a comment.
2: Mayor Finkel, I thank you for those comments. Sherry, sure, are there any other speakers? No,
3: Mayor,
2: Mayor Finkel, are there questions? um mayor finkel
8: Brian brian can can, can i respond to his comment about uh this court case
2: i was about to ask you that if no one else did so yes
8: please His, his statement is absolutely undeniably incorrect um we did go to court on two of his property well one on 1511 lindenwood the judge dismissed that case solely for the reason the way the amendments to the code were attached to the property maintenance code book in the city clerk's office. It had nothing to do whether the facts of the case, whether he was guilty or not. In fact, the judge Miller at the conclusion of that told Mr. Layman that if we did file refile charges against him, he would be found guilty in the court as charged. It was simply because... The amendments to the property maintenance code in the city clerk's office—they were not permanently affixed to that book. They were just stuck in the book, and they—he made that ruling that that did not comply with code, um, and that was the ruling. It had nothing to do with with whether the property was in violation of any of any city codes regarding deterioration, you know, uninhabitable, etc. It was simply based on, excuse me, how the m- amendments were attached to the code um and that's how that went down
2: Mayor Finko, are you saying that's on a, that a different property
8: uh, that was on 1511 Wend- lindenwood and therefore based since we since he was looking at the code and we had two cases going we simply dismissed the other case because we would have lost it on that technicality so we dropped that case it had nothing to do whether the, there were code violations to the property itself it was it was simply how the code book was presented to mr layman when he requested to view it at the city clerk's office
2: I so think there was two cases one was found because of that technicality the other one was dismissed on 1510 is that correct
8: that's correct
2: okay thank you other questions comments Yeah,
5: Commissioner Larson, Brian, could you address um, Mr. Layman's concern about getting a building permit or not being able to get a building
8: permit? Um, that, that, in my opinion, that is a uh, unfair statement trying to um, make me look s- to be someone I'm not. I have never butted in to. D- it's not my job to deny a building permit or tell any of my staff or coworkers to not to deny the permit. Um, I think. All I can say to that is that did not happen. And I think if you look at the duration that this property has been in this condition, um, I've, I've been lenient, I have, I've not filed charges again. I just simply want Mr. Layman to improve his property, nothing more, nothing less. Um, I have no personal vendetta against Mr. Layman, other than the fact that he's consumed a exo- extraordinary amount of our time and resources in trying to get this property in compliance.
2: I think I Other questions or comments? And Brian, as as I understand the resolution, if he does begin working on the project um, by July first, he gets that building permit, and he'll be allowed to continue to do that towards completion.
8: Well, that, Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager for City, that's a good question. I I always put a month date in those resolutions with you, you as the governing body have the have the ability to make that date whatever you think is relevant. If you want to give him 60 days to do this, I don't have a problem with that, but I have to put a date in there, you know, somehow. Um, you know, another important thing is um, we haven't heard from Mr. Lehman since... Um, last fall, Uh, he comes to our office today to start asking for for records on the day of the meeting. Um, You know, to me that's problematic because he's had months beforehand to come and start this process. Um, I I know our staff is seasoned in the building permit side. Um, Our plan review staff, one's an architect, one's been a senior plans examiner for many years. Um, They are fair. They they know what they require for a building permit to be issued. Um, I don't think in any way, shape, or form they are out. You know they're overreaching their their um, code requirements. Um, you know it all always comes down to the question for me is after almost four years of this property being this way, um, uh, you know, does the property owner have the ability and capacity to get to get a building permit and not only get a building permit but then 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 work towards you know, a successful rehabilitation. Um, the worst case scenario for us is the billing permits issued and then we're sitting with no activity again. And then we have to determine whether we want to extend it for another 180 days or worse, just terminate it and, and let it expire because Mr. Layman didn't take any action.
2: Mayor Finkelstein, I guess to clarify, I understand the resolution says he must commence work by July 1st, and then he must, quote, diligently prosecute the same until the work is completed and the premises is made safe and secure. So it's really a two-part process. He has to start the work and then continue to prosecute it. Is that your understanding?
8: Brian he as code enforcement manager.
2: Yes, that's correct.
8: We, 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 we want it to start, but we also want it to move towards completion, continuous improvement.
2: Mayor Finkel, I thank you for those clarifications. Other questions or comments? Motion? Mayor,
3: Mayor um, Mr. Lehman is requesting to uh, respond. I just didn't know if you could, since you don't have, can't see his chat, I wanted to let you know.
2: Thank you, Sherry. Uh, Mr. Lehman, you can go ahead, since this is about your property, you can go ahead and respond.
9: Okay, um, again, Mr. Jimenez, it at the very least, misstated. I literally have the documents myself that from the court for 1510 Wedgwood, not guilty. They chose to dismiss um, the Lindenwood address after losing this. He says that the reason that it was dismissed was because the item was not attached to the code, which means... They did not do their job. He did not do his job. He was not in compliance with the ordinance. And not only that, the judge ruled that the ordinance was not in in effect from the moment that it was passed until the clerk finally attached the ordinance to it, which should have been done from his office to make sure that it was valid. So that means anything that occurred in that time period was not a violation. That's part of the reason Mr. Jimenez was annoyed and because he was embarrassed that he did not do his job, his duty. And so if you look at the property over the period of time, work was being done. And I think that's obvious. And and he actually stated it himself, although he didn't intend to, that work was being done, just not at the speed that he thought it should have been done at the time. And as I stated, and I'm not going to go into the specifics, I was dealing with the other things at the time those are no longer an issue. And so I'm perfectly willing to work on it and I don't have a problem. I do have a concern, although he says he doesn't have any effect on it. I was standing there speaking to the historical preservation person when he literally ran down the hall, interjected in the middle of our conversation and started yelling at me literally for uh, appealing it. So he says that and he you know, he's able to maintain his composure now, but he doesn't when he's talking with me usually. And so I do agree he's wasted an inordinate amount of time on this that he could have been doing rental property inspections so we don't have people dying because they don't have smoke detectors. So that's all I have to say. Uh, uh, With the addition is, if if you guys want to do it for 60 days, that's fine at the end of 60 days. If I haven't done anything, you can go ahead and, you know, I'm not giving you permission. I'm just saying, uh, go ahead and bulldoze it down. I don't have an issue with that
2: think thank you. Thank you. Bring it back to the commission for comments or motions.
4: This is Commissioner Ananda. I would be amenable to extending it to sixty days, so that would be August first, presumably. Would other commissioners be okay with that? i suppose i could just make a motion
3: uh this is sherry rudiman city clerk before you do that commissioner ananda mayor can i just confirm that i'm and i'm sorry because i know we let mr Lehman talk that the public hearing was closed
2: Mayor Fingler, thank you for that sherry we had no one else wishing to speak correct that's right okay then we'll go ahead and close the public hearing and then bring the matter back and commissioner ananda
4: This is commissioner and I would move that we adopt resolution number 7368 with the extension of 60 days rather than 30 days.
2: Mayor is there a second? Seeing none, I would say that dies for lack of the second would there be another motion to be made
5: commissioner larson i move that we adopt resolution number seven three six eight as as seven three six eight i'm sorry as
10: written this Commissioner
2: boley, second may have there's a motion by commissioner lawson a second by commissioner bully commissioner lawson aye Commissioner Bully? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Mayor Finkeldy, aye. Passes five to zero. We'll now move to agenda item number four, which is related to conduct a public hearing regarding the unlicensed and inoperable vehicles located at 15 Tid Wedgwood Drive. Brian, go ahead.
8: Uh, Brian Jimenez, Code Enforcement Manager for the city. I, I, I touched. I don't have much to say on this one. As I spoke to the vehicles that are on the property, there are currently seven vehicles there. Um, there are uh, two BMWs, a uh, Toyota and a Ford F-150 in the front yard, a Toyota Celica, a Honda, and a Chevy SUV, all white vehicles in the rear yard, uh, city code um we've talked to mr layman about this many times over the last um several years um city code requires any vehicles parked in the rear yard to be on approved service constructed in the in in compliance with city code standards um typically that's you know asphalt or concrete they're just parked in the yard um the vehicles in the front yard um, need to be all licensed and shown to be operable Um, those four vehicles have been parked in the same location as well i ask that you uh, consider adopting Resolution 7374, giving Mr. Lehman um, a month to um, remove the vehicles off the property, or we will abate those violations. That's all I have. I stand for questions. Thank you.
2: Mayor lie any questions for Brian? For Commissioner
5: Lawson, did I hear him correctly that this is uh, Resolution 7374? seven four or is it i thought it should be
8: seven three seven one excuse me i misspoke seventy three seventy one
2: commissioner larson thank you mayor finkel i will go ahead and open the public hearing and mr layman since this is your property i'll let you speak first and then open it up to other public comment
9: Okay. Am I, I'm unmuted now. Um, okay. Yeah. For that one, it's, I I don't have a problem with it. Um, removing the vehicles. I think actually it did say in the previous April narrative that they had to, I had to provide information that they were registered. And so which they are, but, um, I just thought it was silly to provide that. But if, if all you're saying now is they need to be removed, um, that's fine.
2: I thank you. This is a public hearing item. If any other member of the public would like to speak, you can um, raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. If you're present, let Sherry know.
3: Chris Flowers.
7: Hi, this is Chris Flowers, and I don't think he should have to move the vehicles because I think it's kind of a bullshit city code. If someone had a big statue of, like, Mr. Toad in a car, and... That'd be considered art art and we'd all the we'd all like it. But you put in an actual car that doesn't work and it lowers property values and you get people complaining. I think if it's his property, he should be allowed to keep cars that don't run on it. And also if we're complaining like when it comes to affordable housing, we're complaining about property values. Do we really want to start cracking down on ordinances that lower the property values? Maybe we should be asking him to start distributing some of his cars that don't work to the rest of the neighborhoods to start bringing down property values so we can get affordable housing. I'm just saying I think people should be allowed to keep old cars on their property. It's their property. Thank you.
3: Uh, Mayor, that's all the public
2: comment. Mayor Fingalai, thank you. I'll go ahead and close the public comment, bring it back to the Commission for comments or motions.
4: This is Commissioner Ananda. I'd move to adopt Resolution 7371.
2: Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Fingalai, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda. Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bowley? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye, aye. Passes five to zero. Thank you very much for everyone on that. We'll now move to regular agenda item number five, which is to receive the Downtown Master Plan Steering Committee's recommendation to direct the consultant to continue the public comment for an additional three weeks Hold an additional steering committee meeting, revise the draft plan and bring it back to the city commission for consideration. Looks like Amy gets to present this one.
11: Good evening, commissioners. Amy Miller, assistant planning and development services director. This item is to receive the downtown master plan steering committees recommendation and direct the staff and consultants on the next steps. For background, the consultant, House Hill Levine Associates or HLA, kicked off the project in early November 2018 and conducted a full year of public engagement. In January of 2020, they brought forward an existing conditions summary, vision, and guiding principles to the Public Downtown Master Plan Steering Committee and the City Commission for consideration. After delays due to the COVID pandemic, a draft plan was released at the end of April and public input was sought. A virtual public open house was held on May 20th in a downtown master plan steering committee was held on may 27th the committee recommended that the public comment period be extended for an additional three weeks and the comments received brought back to the steering committee at an additional meeting for consideration so that they could be more helpful in making a recommendation on the plan to the city commission Staff along with HLA will work to prepare a matrix that includes all the public comment received and a corresponding recommendation to help the steering committee work through the items. In light of the steering committee's recommendations, staff and the consultant are recommending that the city commission direct the consultant to extend the public comment period an additional three weeks, hold one additional steering committee meeting in the early part of July, Revise the plan as directed by the steering committee and bring that revised plan back to the city commission most likely in August. If directed staff and the consultant work to accomplish the revised plan and set the meeting dates. The consultant has indicated that the expanded public comment period and one additional steering committee meeting can be accommodated under the existing contract scope and budget. Further changes to the scope or additional meetings will result in a change in scope and potentially a request for an increased budget. I'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have. And the consultant is also available on the meeting as well. Thank you.
2: Fingler, thank you for that update. Do commissioners have questions?
11: Yeah, Commissioner
5: Arsine, Could Amy, could you repeat um, what the steering committee wants as far as the extensions? I can't, it, it kept cutting out a little bit on me. Sure.
11: Uh, The recommendation from the the steering committee was that public comment be extended an additional three weeks, that we hold one additional steering committee meeting. The consultant will then revise the draft plan based on the steering committee's meeting and their recommendation. And the revised plan will be brought back to the city commission for consideration.
2: Okay, thank you. Mayor Finkel, I have other questions? I guess this is a public hearing item. Um, If any member of the public would like to speak on this item about continuing the public comment, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. Um, We'll let Sherry know, and she will call upon you.
3: Chris Flowers, did you want to speak to this item? I wasn't sure if your hand was still up from the previous item or not. Uh, Mayor, it looks like there's no public comment on this item.
2: Mayor Finkel, thank you. Um, Bring it back to the commission for comments and motions. I guess I would just start by saying I appreciate the the work of the steering committee and the, and the fact that we're getting lots of comments and I look forward to you know hearing the comments and hearing what the steering committee has to say about that and and bringing us back the best recommendation they can. So appreciate that. Effort. I'll
5: make a motion. This is Commissioner Larson. Sorry. Um, So we've received the Downtown Master Plan Steering Committee's recommendation and we want to direct this consultant to continue the public comment, an additional three weeks, hold an additional Steering Committee meeting, revise the draft plan and bring it back to the City Commission for consideration. Commissioner Bowley, second.
2: Mayor Finkel, There's a motion by Commissioner Lawson, a second by Commissioner Bowley. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Bowley? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Mayor Finkel, I passes five to zero. Look forward to receiving that report back. Number regulation item number six is to receive a staff update on the downtown temporary right-of-way program and direct staff as appropriate. Enrico, do you have this one?
12: I do. Uh, Porter, am I able to share my screen? This is Enrico, uh, program administrator.
1: You should be able to. Let me know if you have trouble. Okay.
12: Uh good evening, uh Mayor Finkeldy, uh Vice Mayor Shipley and Commissioners. Uh, I'm Enrico Villegas, uh, Program Administrator uh, with the Municipal Services and Operations Department. Uh, tonight I'll be uh, providing a bite sized update uh, via presentation of the uh, Parklet Program. Um, I, I do want to throw out the disclaimer that I may say Downtown Temporary Right-of-Way Program or Parklet Program. They're both interchangeable. They mean the same thing. Um, but I, I do want to throw that out there. Uh, just one's a little more salient than the other. So uh, to get started, um, I, I do want to highlight um, a, a key, a key month in 2020 um, that really helped shape the story of the Parklet program and how we got here um, today. Um, so in March, in mid-March of 2020, um, the country was shut down in direct response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And subsequent to that, uh, late March, um, we're, late March, early April were the first is- issuances of the uh, uh, stay-at-home orders. And there's a lot of uh, fear and anxiety in society collectively, um, that especially as we were learning more about the pandemic um, and its potential to uh, take one's life um, but also the potential to take one's livelihood. Um, the city in, in mid-May of 2020 um, was engaged in conversations with uh, Downtown Lawrence, Inc. and others um, to look at an innovative idea um, to spark economic activity um, in downtown. Um, and that innovative idea was the expansion of the Uh, parklets in these cities, uh, public rights of way. Um, And there was the uh, collective understanding that the parklet program uh, should have a sense of urgency with it. Um, With the country being shut down to people being told to stay at home, um, to try to keep businesses alive, we had to move fast. And so, uh, Interestingly enough, certainly not intentional, um, June 2nd of 2020 um, was the first time that the Parklet program uh, was presented to the commission. Uh, so we're, we're one day shy of the one year anniversary, um, but I, I wanted to share those because I, I believe that they're pivotal in this conversation. Um, so the the Parklet program at its core, um, can really be seen as a, as an economic development tool so in, in one arm of economic development is business attraction uh, try to bring in new business into the city and then the other arm of economic development is business retention and so i i believe that that um, that was the purpose of the parklet program um and in addition to uh, certain highlights of, of the Parklet program um, was, it is an, an adaptive solution um, to an, an adaptive problem. Um, and to build from that, um, a majority of the, of the adaptiveness of the program is the technical components that make that up. And so in a couple of slides, I'll mention um, in some detail some of the challenges that we've had. Um, But before I do, um, it wouldn't be a full update um, if I didn't um, mention at least some successes that the program has had. And so in particular, um, several of the uh, um, restaurant establishments that have participated in the program um, have told staff that um, if it wasn't for the program, um, that they would have had to have closed. Um, one establishment mentioned um, that they were able to keep all 35 of their staff employed. Um, so I, I'm sure there are others on the call tonight um, that can speak to um, what the program means to them, um, but I, I, I did want to state that. Um, and then there were other key features of the program um, worth mentioning. Um, we've suspended the sidewalk dining licensing fees throughout the uh, 2021 fiscal year. Um, we've waived the site planning requirements and allowed those plans and permits to be approved administratively um, versus say, going to the city commission or the historic resources commission for approval. Um, and one key note that I that I did not put on this slide, but is also worth mentioning, um, is that the program was intended for um, anyone in the downtown commercial zoning district. So whether you're a retailer or a restaurant, you could have participated in the program and still can't. Um, so uh, this slide, um, I I wanted to capture kind of some key data points um, with this, because um, the, the parking is really going to help shape the story of where we are currently. Um, and we're, we are currently on day uh, 350 of the program. Um, and with the 350 days of activity, um, 22 participants um, have elected um, to participate in the program. Uh, 16 have been parklets, um, six sidewalk dining. And of the 22 um, participants in the program, um, 50 um, parking stalls are occupied. And the breakdown is 38 on Mass Street, uh, 12 on the side streets. Um, And there are some higher concentration areas um, like the 700 block, um, 15 um, stalls are occupied via parklets. And then on East 8th Street, on the North and South sides, um, seven are occupied. Um, And while the, uh, the curbside to go is not formally a part of the uh, Parklet program, it was kind of a spinoff. And approximately 30 businesses have participated in that curbside to go. um, And and that 30 is equating to 49 parking stalls. Um, So as a very general overview, um, there are 366 parking stalls on Mass Street. Um, There are 2,988 total in downtown that is the metered, uh, the metered stalls, the surface lots, and the parking garages. Um, so what that means uh, for the program is that the parklets plus the curbside is equating to roughly 3.3% of the parking stalls t- available in downtown. Um, but there, there is a caveat to that, that while it's only 3.3% of the parking stalls in downtown, Um, The parklets, from the parklets coupled with the curbside to go is 21% of the parking on Mass Street. Um, So almost a quarter of all the parking stalls on Mass Street are occupied. Um, So I I wanted to uh, mention that. Um, So that's it for this slide. Uh, Some of the challenges that we've had. I tried to compartmentalize them um, as best I could, um, being codes issues, the built environment, and just miscellaneous. Um, so some of the codes issues, um, just very generally, um, that we are on day 350, um, and I have 180 up there uh because the um chapter 16 of the code right-of-way um the building code and the fire code all deem that temporary is 180 consecutive days or less and we've obviously almost doubled that Um, and then there there's a potential issue with the uh, downtown design guidelines um that in the in the eyes of staff i think we see that this is a a temporary program there is an end date there was an end date um and the code sees it as 180 consecutive days or less. Um the downtown design guidelines um were able to have the uh I guess under normal circumstances, um, and in most cases, um if there was some development in downtown, it would have to go to the HRC um, because it was temporary, um, that was uh allowed to be administratively reviewed. Um, So that's at least one thing that we'll need to look at. Um, And then there are the built environment issues. And I've I've tried to uh, also break it into the quick fixes and then the ones that you really have to think about. Um, One is irrigation and the concrete planters. And in certain cases they would turn on and ended up spraying the patrons. Um, So we've had to look at changing the timing on things um, in order to make that work. Uh, And then just the, in general, the downtown congestion, um, it is a truck delivery route. Um, it is a, a transit route as well. Um, that's heavily, heavily utilized, um, there are active street events coming back, we're seeing, uh, numerous applications for those in downtown. Um, there's a lot of active infill development going on. Um, and then just general shopping. Um, and so all of those things can also add to the perception that, um, there's not a lot of parking in downtown. Um, there's a lot of things to coordinate and work through. Um, so those were just some issues, um, at least with the built environment. And so I, I won't spend too much time on that. Um, but so I guess for tonight um, would be that the, uh, um, that the commission directs staff to uh, work on what a permanent or a long-term program, um, for the parklets um, and then to present that to the commission at a later date. Um, and the reason being too, that the uh, the downtown master plan is recommending um, that the city look at a, um, a parklet program to be permanent. So, um, and we would use uh, public engagement, uh, better design criteria and look at um other ways in which the parklet program has fiscally impacted the city um, so with that i'll stand for questions
2: mayor Finlay, thank you enrico there questions for enrico can you go ahead and stop sharing your screen enrico yes Brad, I see that you uh, are present. Do you have uh, any comments you had on the parking? I know Enrico talked about that some, but I'd be interested. Obviously parking is one of the major issues.
13: Yeah, we, we've, uh, continued to kind of evaluate the, you know, the current state of downtown. I think we can certainly say, um, without question that we are seeing an uptick, you know, in our, in our, um, uh, public parking lots in different areas. I think we still have plenty of available parking right now. Um, we, uh, we recently um, implemented the uh, LPR license plate recognition equipment. Um, we've been working on kind of the uh, the detailed operational um, portion of that, trying to get it to um, meet the city of, of Lawrence needs from an enforcement standpoint. And so right now, uh, unfortunately, we do not have that that really valuable occupancy data that could help us you know in the long term but that has uh, I've heard that that will be completed within the week and so hopefully in the near future we will really have that data um, I think that we have seen a uh, um, you know, an overall very successful program, um, a successful program that a lot of uh, businesses have, have certainly benefited from. Um, and I, you know, I, I feel like in, in my position as the parking supervisor, I've heard a little bit of, of both sides, you know, both sides of the story. Um, I think it's a uh, um, you know right now what this uh, program might look like in the future I think it can be morphed into a, d- a lot of different ways depending on what um, you know you as the commissioners uh, might feel might be the best direction for us to move forward with but that is uh, you know the the long-term uh, parklet program and uh, um, you know the continuous of the curbside pickup stalls if we so choose to go down that route so um, I know that's kind of a long-winded generic answer but uh, you know certainly think that uh, we still have room um, to accommodate you know this this um, you know this program um, and just you know the state of what it looks like moving forward is certainly uh, you know under the control of you folks. Um, Thank you. I'll be happy to answer any other questions.
2: Mayor Finkel, I um, thank you and I don't know if this is for you or or Enrico. As part of this motion I wasn't clear um, until I saw your presentation but would you consider? if we move forward with public engagement and talking about the Parklet program, does that include the Cope side to go as a possible continuation um, as part of that full discussion?
12: This is Enrico, uh, program administrator. Um, in, in talking with uh, uh, merchants en masse, um, some have expressed um, that they would like for those to go. Um, that they do add to confusion to downtown. You know, if they pull into a stall, um, you know, then they recognize that there's a sign there and then have to reverse out and find, a, find another place to park. Um, you know, some have stated that they've been abused, um, that, you know, they should be to go, but people just end up parking there long-term. So um, it's certainly something to be evaluated. Um, I'm not sure how we would capture that in any metric um, but something to look at.
2: Fingler, thank you for that. Other questions for Enrico or Brad?
4: This is commissioner Ananda, I had a question about just kind of, if we, when, if or when we, um, do direct, um, engagement of stakeholders, will that also include the public and, um, the broader public? And what does the timeline look on that?
12: This is Enrico, a Villegas program administrator that would um, revolve around engaging the public at large, um, you know, and the direct stakeholders of downtown, um, probably the appropriate historic resources commission as well, just to get some feedback from them. Um, The timeline, um, I don't have a good answer on that yet, but we would definitely act swiftly um, to try to get something going. Um and work, you know, we work with our uh, communications team on what those best strategies would be. Um but at least a, a well one to two month process just to get some healthy dialogue with everyone.
4: This is Commissioner Ananda, um how in the meantime would you deal with like public events? Um I, I know we received in a letter uh, from the organizer of the Busker Fest, and I know that's not until later in the year, so presumably that would be back, but are, are, there, are there plans in place for dealing with public events in the meantime?
12: This is Enrico Villegas, Program Administrator, um, yes and no. Uh, Parks and Rec um, currently administers the street events, and we are working together um, on trying to figure out what a good strategy would be. Um, but we don't we don't have anything legitimate right now.
0: Vice Mayor Shipley, um, uh, I'm wondering if it's. Um gonna in the long run be a little confusing to have the outdoor dining and the parklets have separate rules. Or is there some way you guys are thinking about streamlining that? Whatever um whatever direction we move in.
12: This is Enrico Viegas, program administrator. Um We, we would look into that. Yeah.
0: Um, vice mayor Shipley, um, not to get too into the details. Cause I see that you want to get, um, a lot of, um, input from the public, but regarding the curbside pickup, um, one idea I did here was to have, um, specific stalls on the side streets, which I thought might, address the um, public event issue if, if there if those were um, the side streets were had specific spots delineated for pickup um, then they wouldn't have the prime Massachusetts spots but they would be available for pickup and um, maybe lessen the amount of um, parklets on side streets. was that something that you guys heard about?
5: this
13: is uh brad harrell parking supervisor um i on the contrary to that i would also mention that you know there is um some parking on the side streets might be prime parking for uh, that particular business i know not every business is on mass so in a sense i think we might just be shifting a, a potential problem um the city actually had you know well prior to this uh and and it might not be as widely known as as it is but uh there is a number of 15-minute meters on Massachusetts Street right now that are intended for this exact purpose. Well before the pandemic, well before this, um, you know, this program, there is, uh, I believe, at least four per block, and it actually might be a little bit more than that. And there are some of those on the side streets as well. So I, I think there's actually, a, you know, an alternative in there for the curbside pickup uh, parking stalls right now, because uh, that's what those 15-minute meters are intended for. They're for a quick grab drop a dime go grab your food and, and move on so um, I I would uh, I would say that that's kind of the the alternative to you know shifting a curbside pickup stall to a different location
0: Vice vicemanship land of memory serves those are um, well those are handy those are ADA accessible the 15 minutes.
13: Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, every uh, sorry, this is Brad Harrell, parking supervisor. Every single meter in the downtown area uh, with an um, valid accessible placard is free to the public. So any stall that um, and that includes time limits as well, in any of the remote parking or back parking lots.
2: Mayor Like any questions or Commissioner Larson? Yeah, Commissioner Larson here. Um, so Enrico,
5: um, I heard a little bit about you You discussing what sort of engagement you were thinking about doing, but there, you don't have at this time late, a plan laid out as to how many community meetings you're going to have, what co- sort of a committee you're going to have, if at all, um, nothing de- detailed. Is that correct?
12: Enrico Villegas, program administrator. That's correct, Commissioner Larson.
2: Thank you, Commissioner Arsene, Thank you. This your
10: Commissioner Finkel, go ahead. Um, Enrico, um, you introduced this topic with uh, as economic development, and um, you know, as we come back from the pandemic, we're hoping that downtown will will pick up. Um, if you know the Parklet program ends up, you know, essentially providing a public subsidy to to businesses downtown. Do you plan on providing a wage data for the businesses that would receive subsidies?
12: This is Enrico Viegas, program administrator, and uh, Commissioner Boley By that, um, in terms of uh, the how they're benefiting from that is that what you're asking? No, it, we generally, when this
10: Commissioner Bowler, when we do economic development subsidies, for example, U.S. Engineering, um, mm-hmm. you know, many times we get information about what the uh, jobs that are being, um, you know, essentially subsidized uh, it, with that development, what what they pay their employees. Now, with the Catalyst Program, we've waived some of that stuff, but you know, the businesses uh provide a lot of that anyway so i just want you know if you're couching this in terms of economic development you know you might consider providing some wage data for businesses that might benefit from it Uh, the other question i have is you you mentioned that it's been 350 days do you have data on how many hours the parklets were being used during each of those 350 days
12: this is Enrico Villegas, program administrator. I do not. Okay,
14: thank you.
5: This is Commissioner Larson. Enrico, I got a, another question for you. Do you have any idea of how you would engage the um, store owners who are, are mostly retail or all retail and they're to in, in order to address their needs for parking? Have you thought about that yet?
12: This is Enrico Viegas, uh, program administrator. Um, it, I, I've definitely, it's been on my mind for a long time. Um, but in terms of anything concrete, um, I don't have anything at the moment. Um, but I do plan on, uh, you know, discussing this with uh, Porter and others to figure out what, um, what a good way to do that would be. Um, so, you know, hopefully after this meeting, um, we can have an internal staff meeting and kind of figure out what that would look like.
5: Thank you,
15: Commissioner Arson, Thank you. This is Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. I might jump in as well. Um, you know, I think that as with a lot of things in the downtown, you know, the the purpose of the engagement process that we plan to engage with um, will hopefully be able to provide us a lot of good input that we can provide the appropriate balance back to you all and balancing all the various interests of downtown between retailers and restaurants and other activities in the downtown area. And um, and another thing I might add, I think with regard to the economic development question that came up earlier is um, I see this uh, Parklet program um, potentially being much like an extension of our sidewalk dining program. So why we don't um, really have a measure of, of the jobs created for that, um, that kind of a program certainly does add to the overall ambiance of the of the downtown. Um, and um, and also, as you all know, that generally um, that sidewalk dining program has a fee attached to it that is meant to compensate the city for the use of that right of way um, for that particular program, which we've had for for some time. So again, I think this is just all a balance and. Um, also in looking at at what the downtown master plan is talking to us about and um and suggesting that we look at in order to make the downtown the the way that we would like it to be for our folks coming in the downtown area and for all the people doing business in there and the
2: Mayor Finkel, are there other questions before I open it to public comment? Seeing none, this is a public hearing item. Um, If any member of the public would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. Or if you're present, let Sherry know and she will call upon you.
3: This is Sherry Rudeman, city clerk. If you would like to provide comment on this item, even if you registered um, on Zoom, please raise your hand, or you can even just turn on your video to indicate that you wish to speak on this item. Ben Albers.
16: Hi, uh, thank you for, uh, for the opportunity to speak. Um, I just had a couple of, I guess maybe general questions about process. Um, it seems to me, you know, listening uh, to previous meetings with the, uh, the master plan discussion, the downtown master plan, and some of the um, other sort of auxiliary questions or conversations about this, um, that they're kind of running in tandem, but yet they're not uh, synced up in some kind of way, at least from my perspective. And please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, <clears throat> So I'm wondering: a, what's driving um, the initiative to go from temporary to permanent with the parklets? Um, is that spurred by the master plan, or is, or was it something something else? Uh, so that's one question for the staff. And then the other question would be the process in terms of getting input from stakeholders, businesses, residents, organizations. Um, in how something like this is going to affect um, how they operate or function um, in this part of the city. Um, And I think that's probably it for now. So if if there's any, any more detail about process, that would be very much appreciated. Thank you. Jennifer
3: McKnight.
17: Hi. Sorry about that. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, well, the, the letter from me the commission um, that was attached to this agenda, I think, pretty much says what, what I feel about this, this program. Um, there was a story in the paper today, and it makes it sound like I'm diametrically op- opposed to the par- Parklet program. And I'm not, and I don't think any other retailer could say that they're against it totally. I just think the problem is in its current iteration, um, I think there's way too many parklets on the 700 block. I think it severely curtails our parking. And I think commissioner Boley brought brought up a great point um, as to how many days the parklets are actually being used out of the year, Um, because we, you know, in a perfect climate, these would be the, these would be wonderful. They would be a great addition to downtown. Um, But um, the fact is there's only a few weeks out of the year when they can be useful to anybody. And the irony is that when nobody is using the parklets, um, when it's, you know, when the restaurants aren't using them because it's raining or snowing or too hot or too cold, that's right when retail customers need convenient parking the most. And I can say that for sure about our um, our elderly customers and our you know physically challenged customers. Um, they have to deal with that you know all the time. And um, on our block in particular, it's just it's you know parking has just been decimated. Um, but I do think there's room for compromise because I think there's a lot that the Parklets bring to downtown. I think what Mr. Viegas was saying about you know, it being something that's been um, seen as a, as a benefit to downtown. I think that that is, is true, but I think that there's a lot of limitation that needs to be placed on uh, when they're used, you know, I, my, well, I have a list of of ideas um, that I can, I can send to you or I'll just go ahead and read them. Um, I would say scale way back on the number of restaurants that are allowed to take up public parking uh, limit the number of parklets per block. Um, limit parklet permits to only those restaurants who plan on using them during lunch hours and dinner hours um, because otherwise the space is just entirely wasted. Nobody's benefiting from a space that's not being used. And um, if a if a restaurant is choosing to only use them at night, that doesn't seem like a really great use of, of public space. Um, Limit the number of parking spaces any one restaurant is able to use. Um, set some sort of aesthetic or code of standards for each parklet. Um, and then to address uh, to address the retail uh, benefits, you know, I, I would want to hear how the da- how the city plans on improving and creating more safe and convenient parking uh, to benefit retail and everybody. Um, so that we continue to attract new people to come to downtown Lawrence and enjoy what we have to offer. I wanna thank the commissioners for your attention to this issue and, um, and I appreciate your, your time and your attention to this.
3: Is there anyone else who would like to provide comment on this item? Uh that's all the comment
2: there. Mayor, Mayor Finkel Dye, uh bring it back to the commission for comments and direction. Um I guess I would start and and uh I I certainly agree with with Ms. McKnight. Um it's pretty much what, what I've been hearing, that in general, people like the parklet program, but, you know, there could definitely be some improvements um, with some of the exact um, comments that Miss McKnight brought up, limitations on the block, um, you know, when they're used, how they're used, how much someone pays for that, um, and, you know, issues like that. Um, you know, I think Mr. Alves asked about process. I think there was you know, the downtown master plan had something to do with it, but also, you know, we have extended the program through the end of the year. Um, but, you know, some folks are asking, you know, if it's going to continue past December, um, or what it's going to look like, um, you know, how we should address that. And then second, I think some of these issues we've talked about on, um, you know, code issues and some of those things like that, getting those addressed sooner rather than later, I think is important. Um, you know, as we go into certainly into the fall. And so, um, you know, I I do think it's, it, it's a program that has merit, um, but it's a program that we need to look at and and try to fix some of the the issues um, and and find that right balance. I think Diane said that as well, find the right balance um, between all of those. I think there's a lot of issues that we can use to talk about that. um, A lot of venues we can use to talk about that. And so, I look forward to that. I guess the last thing I would say, I know there's a lot of questions about what the process is. Yeah, I I would, you know, I think we, if we direct tonight to ask staff to engage in that, if it's something we want to see before they start the process, we could ask staff to bring us back their process um, before it starts um, rather than having them just jump into it if people are concerned about that. So anyway, those are my comments. Other comments or questions?
5: Yeah, Commissioner Arson, and I, that was one I was going to bring up. Um, it's my concern as to what their plan is, as to how they're going to engage the community. I think it, I think it would help me to uh, uh, look at this more positively if I knew how they were going to do this, um, this whole process of engaging the community. So I would appreciate that information ahead of time before we jump too too much into it. The other thing we didn't talk about was the possibility that, you um, you know, if this program were to continue in some form at all, that um, you know, I would be um, very interested in knowing what sort of um, fees would be charged to the business owners who are using it. Because one thing that we all know is that the downtown um, properties are the most expensive in the city of Lawrence, and so I think that if we um, get that far in the process, that those who use these parklets should be paying that market rate. For that for the properties and i don't want that to escape us into um for that to be a part of the con- conversation i think we need to make sure it gets in there
0: vice mayor shipley um uh yeah i i agree and i, I soon remember the last time we talked about this when we extended it to december that Um, I specifically wanted to know what the cost of that would it be in the long run if we wanted to continue something like that. So I I imagine that staff has been thinking about this in the back of their minds. And again, the same question um, that I meant about the continuity with um, outdoor dining. There is a cost for outdoor dining that is not free. Um, Businesses do pay an amount of money to use that space. So will that be commensurate with the outdoor dining? Will the price go up? How will that, what will that balance look like? Um, and and um, uh, uh, certainly never dreamed that we would allow businesses to use public space for free um, when we ever discussed this um, previously, except for an, an emergency situation. Um, uh. Another issue I think that we talked about previously um, was indeed addressing the not using it year round. I I seem to remember moons ago, there was a, a construction project on downtown and many hours were spent making sure that all of the parking stalls in front of certain businesses doing construction would be available during the holiday season. So I think many of us know how important parking is downtown during the holiday season. Um, and if these won't be used year round, I believe I suggested last time that we might consider finding, um, storage for some of these, um, larger pieces that, that are built or the heaters and the chairs and the things like that, that we could provide, Um, during the, during the wintry season, when you certainly won't be eating outdoors, um, so that those parking spaces can be used by the retailers who will definitely need it during the holiday season. Um, so I, I hope um, when those discussions come up, those suggestions will be remembered. Um, uh, and then, you know, if, if they do do it only, let's say for six months out of the year, is that you know, do they pay for the year? Do they pay for the month? How does how do, how does how will that work out? So all the things I think we're thinking about, um, how, how to charge fairly for the use of that space, um, but also be flexible. And of course, a lot of complaints about the Jersey barriers and wanting those to look um, to look a lot better in addition to all the safety issues that we know exist that um, Enrico outlined. Um, and, and I hope when we do have this engagement, then that parking data will be available so that we can uh, be more clear about what the actual usage is. And I would also remind us that um, our parking study, if I recall, and the um, downtown study as it is right now, suggests considering um, charging people to park in the evenings. So the inequity of businesses that are only open during the day having this kind of competition could be evened out merely by charging parking in the evening um that those are kind of some of my thoughts
4: this is commissioner ananda i agree with what the mayor said um i think that i, I think that there's space for for giving um thoughts, but I would like for the community to really think outside of the box and the potential of downtown and how do we explore all of those options without putting um, literal or metaphorical barriers around that um, contemplation. And I look forward to the opportunity for our community to really dig into that and and the potential of our downtown. Ms.
10: Commissioner Bullock, I don't really have anything to add. You all have done a good job. Thanks.
2: Mayor finkel would uh, any other comments or, or motion? Or? Commissioner
5: Larson, I would uh, want to make sure that we get uh, an advanced look at what their, proce- what their process, how they're gonna engage the community before I would vote on this.
0: Vice yes, Mayor Shipley, I wonder if, um, I, I, again, I kind of consider, um, our city manager to be the, the, the keeper of our strategic plan, um, that includes engagement. And I wonder if he could, uh, tell us how he would direct staff to do this, um, or guarantee us that it is the kind of robust engagement that we, um, have come to expect.
18: Thank you. City Manager Craig Owens. Um, Guarantees, right? Um, No, I I appreciate it. Uh, This is something that we're working on and actually, um, you know, we will design um, the engagement process and be really excited to share it with you before we we move it out, out into the community. But we really need to account for all the stakeholders, all the different perspectives and figure out how do we get those perspectives built in here and then how do we do a reporting mechanism so that they understand how they're Um, how their input has been uh, accounted for, and how it's influenced the the final decisions, which ultimately will be yours. So uh, we'll want to make sure that you also feel at the end of the process that we've accounted for all the different stakeholder positions and and perspectives, as well as provided a lot of data behind that. So that's a guarantee that I'll make you uh, for, uh, for this process and for everything else we have going forward. I think Porter's probably got some ideas on that as well. So thanks for the opportunity.
2: Mayor Finkeldey, Commissioner Lawson, uh, uh, I guess I was thinking we could possibly say, you know, in the motion that um, we we direct staff um, to develop a an engagement process, bring it back to us for approval, um, you know, something like that. Is that what you're saying? Are you wanting to say you don't want to vote on this at all? yeah, if we add, until
5: yeah, yeah. Commissioner Larson. Yeah. If we add something like that, a caveat to it, I would be fine with that. Um, I'm just, I thought we'd see more tonight on, on what their plan was. It didn't seem like they really had, they don't have a plan yet. And so I was um, a little disappointed in that, but um, I have no doubt that they'll put one together. Um, but it would have been nice to see it tonight.
2: Mayor, I guess I, I think the direction was, they want some direction from us before they put the time into creating the plan. <laughs> you know, if we were going to say no, that we wanted it to end on December 2021 with no. You know, no choice, then why put the time into it? But at least that's how I I took where we're at tonight.
4: Mayor, this is Commissioner Ananda. I think that um, I would prefer receiving the plan rather than approving the plan prior to implementation um and obviously at any time we can give suggestion but as someone who is not paid by the city to engage public engagement um i don't i don't want to be i don't want to necessarily for us to have to approve that plan because there are always tweaks there are always changes that can happen um that's just my personal preference
5: Commissioner Larson, so would that mean that um, there wouldn't be an opportunity at all to make any changes to it? Is that what you're
4: saying? No, it would just be that we could give direction, but I just don't know that we would, like we generally don't approve public engagement plans, but we do give direction and, and have conversation around that that is generally accepted by staff.
2: Mayor Finkeldeye. so listening to um, those comments, I'm thinking to myself about the motion here. Um, I'm not gonna make the motion yet, but I'll, I'll say it something like this to see what Commissioner Lawson thinks, that we direct staff to create a public engagement process, and to engage stakeholders to develop a long-term program for future city commission consideration. That way, we can consider both of those items: first, the public engagement, and then the, you know, the actual plan at the end of it. Mr.
5: Marsh, that's fine.
2: Mayor Finkel, I think I'd go ahead and turn that into a motion. I move that we direct staff to develop a community engagement process and to engage stakeholders to develop a long-term program for the future for future city commi- city commission consideration.
0: Vice Mayor Shipley second.
2: Mayor Finkel aye there's a motion by myself a second by Commissioner I mean, Vice Mayor Shipley I'll vote aye Vice Mayor Shipley aye Commissioner Ananda Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Bully. Aye. Passes five to zero.
4: Mayor, this Thank is, com- Ananda, I apologize for interrupting. I just wanted to make sure that we didn't need to add that we received that as well, or is that just an action that we've engaged and we don't need to move?
2: Mayor it. that's a good question. I turn all questions like that to our very valuable city clerk, Sherry Riedemann.
3: Uh, Sherry Reedman, city clerk. You do not need to c- include that in your motion.
2: Mayor I thank you both for that. Thank you, Enrico and Brad and Diane and Craig. We look forward to that discussion um, coming back before us. It's going to be a good update. Um, let's go ahead and take a 10 minute break before we jump into the rest of the regular agenda items. Um, we'll take a 10-minute break. Return, it looks like, at
1: 8.01. There we go. Ready now, Mayor. Sorry, I had my other one off.
2: Mayor Finkelad, no problem. Thank you. We are back from a break. I will go ahead and take roll call. Vice Mayor Shipley? Here. Commissioner Ananda? Here, Commissioner Lawson.
5: Here,
2: Commissioner Bully. Here, Mayor Finkel. I I am here as well, and we're now going on to regular agenda item number seven, which is to consider authorizing uh, city Manager execute an engineering agreement with TRAC, um for engineering services related to the stormwater system. Nick,
19: do you have this one? Yes, I do, Mayor. Thanks for um, thanks for um, hearing us today. Uh, My name is Nick Hoyt. I'm engineering program manager, and uh, Matt Bond and I are going to be um, working together on this presentation. Um, I thought we'd be a little later in the evening, where I'd be in the house and my kids would be asleep. So, sorry, I'm in the garage. This is where I've been the last year, so I guess it's um, okay. But um, and so. Matt and I have been working really hard for the last few months getting some major stormwater initiative projects up and running and getting to this point where we're ready to execute contracts. We thought we would just take a moment at this commission meeting to give an overview of the several of the projects that we have um, moving forward at this time. We thought we'd be a little later in the evening. So we tried to keep it short and a a real high level um, information meeting. It's, there's plenty of time it appears. So feel free to ask as many questions as you want. We also have um, both representatives from Trek design group team from their team and JEO, who um, who's gonna be working on the Jayhawk watershed. So we can have one presentation for both commission items seven and eight. So we'll just start that. Um. So we're gonna, we're gonna look at several of our programs that is above what our internal staff do. You know, the, the cleaning and the TVing and a lot of the point repairs our staff do has been going on for a long time and we're increasing our effort on several other programs including the maintenance plan program, which is separate from the CIP, several capital improvement plan projects and then the stormwater system ID assessment and model creation program um yep okay so the maintenance plan projects are focused on localized issues those could either be structural or localized flooding they include both rehabilitation which um the largest part of that is cured in place pipe which is lining the existing storm sewer. We've been doing that in in conjunction with our sanitary sewer lining program. Right now we have um, about 3,500 feet of storm sewer under contract to line. Um, That is mainly focused on on sewers underneath arterial streets. So let's line those, renew the structural integrity of that before it collapses under sixth street or 23rd street. Doing that in conjunction with our sanitary sewer program has really allowed us to get a good price on that, and we plan to keep doing that moving forward. We're also um, rehabilitating the tops of several cor- uh, storm inlets across town, I think we spend about 100,000 100,000 a year on that storm inlet top replacement, but once we're past rehabilitation we're into reconstruction and replacement. And we have two on-call stormwater engineers or city staff that can provide design. And then that, um, the work can be completed by either our city staff or bid out to construction. Our budget right now is about a million dollars a year. Um, And of the projects, we have six that we're moving forward with design here as shown. we do not have the budget to complete construction all, on all six of these this year, but we are trying to move forward with design as quickly as possible on these um, to see how funding works in the future. Maybe there's some stimulus funding that, that will work out um, or you know maybe we have enough for Wilshire Drive, but not 13th of Kentucky in any given year. So we're trying to move forward with a finalized design as quickly as possible on these. Um, the other thing we're working hard at is um, that you'll hear repeated in this presentation is working on a corridor concept. So by that, we mean when we go to sh- Sharon Drive, we aren't just looking at the storm sewers. We're trying to fix other things while we're there, minimize impact um, to uh, to the residents, and also hopefully get more bang from our buck, buck with our budget. Um, the first two that you'll probably see go to constru- construction is Sharon Drive and 13th and Kentucky, but we are moving forward with um, design on all six of these. Matt's gonna do a quick overview of the three main CIP projects that we have um, moving forward at this time. Good evening,
14: commissioners, mayor, uh, Matt Bond, engineering program manager. So as Nick mentioned, what we're going to try and do for a lot of our projects moving forward is a corridor approach. And so with the the, uh, 17th and Alabama project, that project is currently about 80% uh, done with design. Um, Originally, it was known as project number 11 in the 1996 master plan. Uh, Along with that corridor approach that I mentioned a minute ago, we've added 3,000 feet of water main along with this project to take it uh, to uh, take advantage of some of those um streets we've got torn up so that's primarily along 18th street so with this project the intent is to solve the current localized flooding that we have along 19th street specifically between missouri and maine so if you've ever been down there and seen that you know that firsthand one of the other things that i really want to eliminate is uh, any more pictures of people canoeing down Alabama that's not a good thing we want to drive down our streets not row down them and then as you can see from this map that uh, we've updated the size of the structures underneath 19th street which goes from like an 18 inch pipe to a 42 inch and then the main trunk line that ends up going down 20th street is a 48 inch and that turns into an eight by eight box so that gives you an idea of the volume of water that we have on the, the 17th and Alabama project. So the reason uh, the next agenda item after Nick's would be the Jayhawk watershed. And w- one of the things that we wanna make sure that we do with this one is uh, we're gonna review um, the, the watershed from basically Memorial Stadium all the way to the Kansas River. Now this, this was actually also included as projects number 23 and 24 in the 96 master plan. So we're gonna get a good hydrologic and hydraulic model of this watershed and the end game is to develop a conceptual design of the watershed. And then, of course, we'll be talking to residents with our community engagement so they know where it's going and, and, and get uh, involved. We're going to keep everybody informed with that. So, then on to Maple Lane. Um, this it starts primarily at uh, Edgewood Park and run south down Maple Lane to some distance to be determined by similar watershed study as to how far that will go. This project is currently in the 2023 CIP, and it was originally project number 34 in the 96 Master Plan. Now, Nick's going to talk about a couple things here in a second, along with our corridor approach that we've had pop up recently, and he'll fill you in on those things.
19: Uh, Nick Hoyt, Engineering Program Manager. So as Matt said, we uh, we have this Maple Lane stormwater project currently in the twenty three CIP. Um, one thing that all the heavy rains have may have allowed us to do is see somewhere some issues are firsthand in our um, sanitary sewer system. So we identified so the sanitary sewer is the yellow here, and we identified a capacity issue on Maple right there in the same location as the um storm sewer project so we're now looking at accelerating that schedule and um coming up maple with new storm sanitary and um while we're at it let's fix the water water line that's on that um same street at the same time um this is all kind of this change of plan has just happened in the last couple weeks so it is still developing but i think um, kind of big picture. That's what we're trying to do: is work with storm projects and find other issues at the same time and streamline streamline our projects to fix as many things in there in one shot. Um, so that's our third CIP that's CIP project that's currently in the budget. And then I'm going to focus here on the storm water system ID assessment and model program. And this is um, item seven on tonight's agenda. So, you know, as Matt alluded to, we've been working from a 1996 master plan for a long time. Um, right now, we, we there's a lot of questions in our storm sewer. So, you know, right off the top, let's find out where our storm sewers are, what condition they're in, what's their hydraulic, um, you know, what What capacity do they have for design storm? Let's come up with a logical and transparent system to develop and prioritize a CIP. So in a nutshell, that's what this program is. It's a three-year program where this is the initial phase. There's a hybrid team between city staff and outside contractor. And this contract under consideration tonight is the initial phase. It's split about 50-50 between planning for that city-wide three-year effort while focusing on two pilot basins. Uh, the two pilot basins we selected is Quail Creek, which is roughly, um, it runs just west of Castle from 6th Street all the way south to the edge of town. And what we're calling Northwest Burroughs Creek, which is roughly from like 16th and Tennessee going east to like 13th and Burroughs Creek. And what we selected these for Due to known stormwater issues there, but they provide a representative cross-section of all the different scenarios and conditions of the stormwater system across the city. Quail Creek is a mainly open channel watershed. Um Burroughs Creek is that section of it is completely enclosed system, you know, and there's a range of stuff built hundred plus years ago to newer different materials and um quail creek has a lot of interaction with the fema floodplain on the southern sides on the southern end so as we do this initial project and we encounter these different situations we'll be able to develop a um the procedures to carry that program through the three years and through the rest of the city and um at the end we will have a well-thought-out, well-researched, prioritized CIP to move forward. So with that, um, that's the end of our very short presentation. We have um, the consulting teams for both projects here if you have any questions, or Matt and I would also um, be happy to answer any questions you have.
2: Fingal, I thank you very much for that presentation. Um, Looks like Vice Mayor Shipley has a question. Yeah,
0: um, so I want to be clear Um the, the ID um, and assessment and modeling um, will ultimately result in something that replaces the stormwater master plan plan from before when you and I graduated high school. Y-
19: yes, uh, ideally, I would in three years, we never have to research back to this was a 1996 master plan project. Not to say that the 96 master plan projects that weren't completed won't show up on the next one or will, but it'll be independent.
0: Vice Mayor Shipley, and since this is all, this would all be based on data, there would also be flexibility. For example, if uh, something came up after six years that was inexplicably um, over capacity, you could reprioritize it.
19: Yes, uh, Nick Hoyt, Engineering Program Manager. I mean. Any CIP is a living, breathing um, plan that changes with, with new information every day. Um, and I, I would also say that like projects prioritized through that program might not be done first. Cause if we're, if we're already tearing up what other street for a particular project, I think we might move, um, we, we should move items around to match other projects as we kind of talked about with the corridor approach. And any CIP is always um, getting new information. Even after this program, we're going to be getting new information on our on our stormwater system for the rest of our lives. So that CIP will constantly be changing.
5: Commissioner Larson, I have a question on the Jayhawk um, watershed. You indicated Matt, I believe it was, that said that that. Um, what's on the agenda tonight is for a design concept for that. Is that my understanding, Matt? That is
14: correct. So what they'll do is they'll put the model together. They'll First, they'll go through and they'll find out exactly where everything is positively, make sure they know the size, the material type, and those things, model that, and then come back and say, how can we improve on this? Can we keep segments of the current system? Or do we need to get rid of the whole thing? Or So that's, that's what that H&H model is going to tell us.
5: Commissioner Larson, thank you for that. Um, so the $215,000 that's in the agenda for tonight, that's for the entire design concept for that basin for watershed? Yes, that,
14: that's going to cover the hydraulic model. That's not thats not going to give you design construction plans, but yes, it's going to give you an H&H model to tell us, hey, how, how are we going to go? And to, to key on to what Nick was just saying about the CIP is we're going through here and say in year two, we find something else and maybe we've broken, maybe I'm getting into the weeds too much. But if if we had it broken into a couple of projects in Jayhawk, if we find something with the asset management that says, hey, this might, this should be a little higher, then we can start moving projects around.
5: Commissioner Larson, thank you. That's what I was hoping. 215, that seems actually, I was surprised it was, um, would include that much information. So I think that's real good. Thank you.
2: Mayor Finkel, I, just to follow up on that, I mean, I think we have something like $6 million or something set aside mm-hmm. in the CIP hoping to, what we actually have to construct, correct? So this is the first step in a very large project.
14: That That's correct. The engineering program manager, Matt Bond, that is correct, Mayor.
2: Mayor Finkel, I have other questions before I open it to public comment? Yeah, Commissioner Arson, I've
5: got one more if I can remember what it was <laughs> it just escaped me um I'll think about it okay sorry about that
0: thanks Mary Shipley um it it makes a lot of sense to um to do projects uh, in the way that you're speaking where you're already in one place so do everything um how but how do we make sure that we're keeping equity in mind? So for example, I would hate to see a project in a low mod area of town consistently fall in the ranks of priority um, without uh, some kind of balancing. Um, So even if it was due to data, would how would we look and make sure? Okay, we spent twice as much money in a very wealthy part of town and nearly nothing in uh, in a, a lower mod part of town.
19: Um, Nicoy Engineering Program Manager. So I think what you're what you're getting at is the um, capital the stormwater capital improvement plan developed through the asset and inventory project needs to match. The priorities in the same system as like the citywide CIP development, um, and I, if Andy, if Andy's here and ready to hit the mic, he, he can talk to that because he he really did a great job about how those two things interact.
20: Yeah, Nick, uh, Andy Sauer with Burns and McDonald. It's uh, a great question. Um, what we we laid out or what we envision is a CIP evaluation process where we'll develop. Criteria for the stormwater improvements, and that will obviously start with how we're mitigating flooding, but it also might be how it relates to other corridor improvements. And then we'll we'll assign a score to those, and then working with um, probably just internal or some stakeholders, to develop a weighting process for those criteria. So, for example, your question about you know equity, that could be how we weight those. And that way we're comparing each of the improvements equally across all the different sectors, if that makes sense. So that's kind of what we envision for the priority process. Where we want stakeholders to help with that is that, that weighting. So what's more important? So it's if equity is a higher weight, then we can weight it that way. So, But that same scoring will be used for all the stormwater projects, if, if that makes sense. So that's what we envision. And that's the way we can keep that kind of fair and equitable across all the improvements.
5: commissioner larson i remember my question have we done any of this stormwater assessment id um process before i thought i'd seen it on the cip is am i missing something
19: yes um nicoid engineering program manager the asset and inventory program is in the cip it's a three-year program i think ms219804 um, So I, I think um, there's six something million dollars over three years in the CIP now for this for this program.
5: Commissioner Arson, thank you. So we're just now starting this, um, this program, is that correct?
19: Yes, so the uh, NICOIT engineering program manager. So the funding was finalized when the rates were established in December. We okay. issued the RFQ early January and I've uh, been in the selection process and contract negotiation process through the six months here. So that's why we're pretty excited to get, hit hit going, get going. Yeah, thank you.
2: Mayor Finkeldeye. Nick, I just want to confirm your presentation was for seven and eight, correct? Both yes. items? Okay, so I'll go ahead and open up public comment to item seven and eight. If any member of the public would like to speak to either item seven or eight related to stormwater and the two contracts, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature, or if you're present, let Sherry know and she'll call upon you.
3: Mayor, there's no public comment on those items.
2: Mayor Finkel, I thank you. Um, we'll bring these items back. You know, I would just echo, I'm excited to get this project underway. And, um, you know, the obviously we raised stormwater rates, but this is what we were hoping to get from that. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited, one, to get it underway. Two, I'm excited, um, Vice Mayor Shipley's comment and Andy's response on how we get to the weighting of that and, and making sure it's fair and equitable. And, and I'm also excited to see that, you know, possibly stormwater might, in some cases, drive what we do with the roads or other things, not always the roads driving what we do with stormwater, because um, we, we've now experienced, especially over the last couple of years, that stormwater is a, a major issue and not that potholes in the road aren't a major issue either, but, um, you know, to see maybe stormwater driving some of these issues um, and setting the stage, I think, is important and certainly I, I appreciate the idea of these corridor plans of working together so only digging up the street once uh, not only for convenience but cost and, and getting all those working together and again obviously if you have a water main break and you're digging up the road to fix the water main break you know and it's somewhere in the plan to fix the storm water then let's get in there and fix the storm water and, and we need to be flexible about that um but so i you know, I appreciate having that plan in place. We, when something like that happens, we can react quickly. So appreciate the work on this and and appreciate seeing what this is going to do going forward for the whole community. Other comments? Mr. Commissioner Bowley, um, I anticipate that this is a big
10: step forward in uh, achieving lowest cost of ownership. I mean, that's a big deal for, for our residents and, and uh, it's worth investing in. So thank you.
5: Commissioner Larson, um, I would echo what um, Commissioner Bowley as well as the mayor said. Um, this is the way you're approaching it seems to be very logical, systematic, and the idea of um, lumping things together so we can fix everything that's happening at that one time. I think it's great. Um, just getting the stormwater program off and running is something I've been begging for for a few years now. So um, I'm really glad to see that you know staff is. Um, taking this and, and, and they're running with it. And then I'm uh, just on the first one with the Jayhawk um, watershed, um, you know, uh, the cost to do what they're gonna do, I think that's a good cost. And so um, kudos to you. And, and I appreciate what you're doing on this. Thank you.
2: May I have other comments or motions on seven, and then we'll follow it with eight.
4: Commissioner Ananda, are we doing the motion separately? Yes. Okay, Um, I would move that we authorize the city manager to execute an engineering services agreement with track design group LLC in the amount of $1,084,206 for engineering services for stormwater system ID assessment and model creation program.
2: Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Finkel, There's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bolle? Aye. Mayor Fingledeye Aye. Passes five to zero. Commissioner Nanda? I'll let yes. you do number eight. <laughs>
4: All right. I will move that we authorize the city manager to execute an engineering services agreement with JEO Consulting Group Incorporated in the amount of $215,645 for stormwater improvements for the Jayhawk watershed.
2: Commissioner Larson second. Mayor Finkeldeye, There's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda,
5: aye.
2: Commissioner Lawson, aye. Vice Mayor Shipley, aye. Commissioner Bully, aye. Mayor Finkeldeye. aye. Passes five to zero. Thank you, Nick and Matt, and everyone for your work on this. Look forward to the results. Thank you very much. We're now moved to regular agenda item number nine, which is to receive. Um, the de- fire department, fire medical department station optimization analysis. Chief Coffee, I assume you get to kick this off. Well, I'm going to kick it off,
21: and uh, since I was the only one here in 1996 when the last study was done, <laughs> and so I'm then let uh, Tom and McKenzie take over um, tonight. Before you, we we're going to present our 2020 station optimi- optimization analysis. Uh, the last one was conducted in 1996 with the completion of 2006 of that plan. Uh, They did an outstanding job with that plan. I will tell you, Uh, at that point, they relocated station four from where it was at on Stone Barn Terrace, Morris Avenue, out to Wakarusa, relocated station two, that was at 19th and Haskell at that time, out to Harper by the water tower in the fairgrounds and built new fire station number five. That was such a strong plan that uh, it's been able to uh, withstand a lot of growth within the city. And just to give you a little perspective on fire stations, uh, by my count, uh, looking on the internet, Lawrence uh, is the sixth largest city in the state with about 100,000 people, give or take. And we have five fire stations. Topeka has 124,000 people. They have 12 fire stations. Number seven was Shawnee, city of Shawnee, and they have 65,000 people and four stations. Lenexa with 56,000 people, they have six, Manhattan has 53,800 people in their community, and they have five fire stations, and Salina with 46,004. So they did an outstanding job with that uh, station uh, location study when they did that. I will tell you, though, now as we look at the upcoming presentation, you will see in that when they did it, Really, if you look at 6th and Wakarusa, that area to the northwest, there was nothing in their plans that compensated for growth in that area, as well as between 6th and 15th Street, um, west of uh, Wakarusa and, uh, and George Williams in that area, as well as south of 31st Street. Uh, the tip of the, the polygon at that time for the station study was at 31st and Iowa. And so as we look at our optimization study uh, tonight, you'll get a kind of feel for those areas as well. Uh, I wanna commend McKenzie Zell and Tom Fagan for the work on this analysis. They used many peers from within the community along with city GIS, they used MSOs for support as well as planning development services, the police department, the Douglas County Health Department and Douglas County. So we had many people weighing in And I will tell you from a a peer um, informational support part of this, many people have called requesting to see our study and the work that uh, McKenzie and Tom have completed. It's really innovative in the use of these other people contributing to it. So with that, I'll quit talking and turn it over to them. Thank you. Well, good evening, Commission.
22: Uh, My name is Tom Fagan, Division Chief of Administration at Fire Medical. And uh, we're really excited about um, this report coming out. A lot of work as Chief Coffey uh, had uh, spoke about, went into this. Um, You may remember some of you uh, that were in the commission are on the commission at the time during our last accreditation site visit uh, back in early 2018. Uh, we had presented the outcomes of that uh, and all the recommendations that we received from, at that time, our community risk assessments, and there were several um, recommendations that we were talking about reliability of response performance, as well as several other recommendations that we're working towards, but that really spurred um, the beginning of this research. Um, really, that community risk assessment that was done at that time was really the tip of the iceberg. Uh, We decided to approach the city um, at that time for a CIP project for a station location study um, as a, have a third party do that analysis. Um, The following year, we determined that we could do that work uh, based on um, our knowledge of our community and the resources that were available based on technology and what we felt were good partnerships to, to build upon. And the outcome of this report is that success. And so we were able to capture that value of that CIP project uh, to where we didn't have to spend that money. We did it internally, and I would put this report um, biasly, of course, against many uh, third-party reports based on some innovation uh, that we're, we're really excited to talk to you about tonight. So at the top here, I know there's a lot of information on this slide, and this presentation is uh, pretty lean and mean i think there's six slides so they're they're jam-packed with information uh, we're just i wouldn't even say scratching the surface of this presentation tonight there's a lot of reading um, great information and a lot of data that frankly we're just not going to have time to get into tonight but we would love to talk to you more about but uh i just want to recognize again all, all of the people that contributed to this we're excited about what this may spur into on potential community risk reduction initiatives in addition to not just responding more effectively within our community, but also having more effective community engagement, identifying areas that may have specific hazards and risks that we can mitigate on the front end to prevent emergencies from occurring. And so those are some of the benefits that that come from this type of collaborative work. But with that, uh, I'll start off, and I'm, I'm not one to normally read from slides, um, but for the purposes of this one, um, I feel it's very purposeful. Uh, given the, the broad amount of information that's in this report. And so I am gonna read these three project objectives because there is so much information in here. It's almost like, oh my gosh, what was the, other than obviously identifying the future possible locations of, of fire medical facilities, how did that call come in together and what was the objectives? And so that, uh, with that said, I'll go ahead and read our first objective here to analyze the department's station location capabilities relative to key community risk factors, including but not limited to population density, disadvantaged populations, assessed property value, future population projections, and historical response fire medical department performance. And so it's interesting about those five different dimensions of risk, and we'll talk more about that here in just a moment, is only one of those specific to fire medical data. And so when we talk about using bigger data, more community intelligence to make these future planning decisions, um, we felt like that was a success with with this analysis. So the number two objective, using key community risk factors, data modeling and modern mapping technology, identify strategic locations to provide emergency travel time capability based on industry industry best practice standards. And so if you remember just a few weeks ago, we, we presented you the annual compliance report. And in that report, we talked about our baseline response time performance and what that trend has looked like historically and how we're seeing an elongation of our travel time. Uh, we also talked about alarm handling and turnout time, uh, but this specific work report is based on the ability to move from location A to location B in a, um, in a performance level that's consistent with quality standards. So the third and last one here, and then we'll move on to the next slide, is provide a data-informed recommendation for the adaption fire medical response capability through station relocation expansion for improved community-wide value, more equitable service levels, higher quality of life for all residents and visitors, and improved outcomes to lives and property. And so with that, we'll go ahead and move on to our next slide. Okay. So we'll start looking at the map before we get into the five dimensions of risk. And one thing you may recognize when you're going through the report is all the maps are standardized um, with consistent coloring and shading. And I just want to kind of orientate you to this map uh, and how it is also going to connect to the next few slides. So obviously, this is a map of the city of Lawrence. Um, you're seeing the five fire medical stations that exist currently within the city. Uh, We do have boundaries uh, within the city as it exists currently uh, with a gray shaded outline. And then we also have 2030 projections and 2040 projections for growth based on the city's 2030 and 2040 plans. The green shaded area, uh, and you may have uh, recognized this from a slide that we had Uh, in our presentation just a few weeks ago is our ability to respond uh, and travel time from each one of our fire medical stations. And just to remember that that's based on uh, the availability of those resources within that station, the perfect sunny day, um, no weather ice on the roads, right? Um, And no other calls happening. And as we talked about in that presentation a few weeks ago, we run between 35 and 45 calls per day a uh, majority of those requiring more than just resor- one resource to respond and mitigate. And so these, these red ovals that you're seeing here are geographical gaps in coverage uh, based on our uh, ability or capability uh, to provide uh, that quality standard response performance of four minutes travel time from each one of our stations. And so we're gonna dig further into this tonight. Um, previously, we had shown you these circles uh, tonight and report you're going to see a lot more detail about what exists risk-wise within these these different uh geographical gap areas as we call it in the report and we're evaluating five different dimensions of risk the first one being disadvantaged populations based on a lawrence douglas county mpo uh, data layer Um, again uh, using a very uh, broad approach to data collection Uh, we aren't just using our data And this is some information that we're really looking forward to see how we can uh, elevate equity and coverage um, across the city. And we'll talk more about that here in a few minutes. Number two, the current city of Lawrence population, uh, which came from the city of Lawrence planning and development services, the projected city of Lawrence population in 2040, which again was from the city of Lawrence planning and development services, appraised building value um, was from the Douglas County appraiser's office. And then lastly, our historical density of call volume uh, based on our, our data sets. So with that, Mackenzie, will go to the next slide. And so Mackenzie Ezel' is going to talk about uh, these next three slides. And then each one of these, we're going to get into the further detail of these geographical gap areas.
23: Hello, Mackenzie Ezell, fire medical analyst. So, we're going to look at, like Chief Fagan said, three slides that look very similar to this. We're going to go through each of the three gaps that were on that first map. Um, So, for the first one, we have our north gap. And so, if we look at the map on the left, we can see that green um, blanket of coverage that we've talked to you guys about. And then we can see the oval, um, which is where we've designated that gap. Within that oval, we have two colors of dots. We have red dots and we have navy dots. The Navy dots are where we hit our performance um, travel time response goal. And then the red is when we did not meet that goal. So realistically, um, even when we have the coverage of the four minute travel time within that green blanket, we can still see that we haven't um, been able to reach that goal every single time. And this data is 2013 through 2019 emergency data. Um, that way, we can see that we are analyzing data that we are responding emergent to. Um, so, getting there as quickly as possible. So, um, we can also see station three is in the bottom corner of the map. Um, and then we can compare this later on to um, the population growth and those other dimensions that we talked about earlier. So, if we look to the right, those dots in the red and the blue are broken down into three segments the four minutes or less, the four to six minutes, and the above six minutes in travel time. So the navy dots correlate with the four minutes or less, which in this oval was met 34% of the time. Everything red would be in the four to six minutes or above six minutes. If we look below that, we can see some key facts that involve what is in this oval. So that is covered. covered by the green blanket right now, and then also not covered by the green blanket, anything in that oval. And so we can see the population, the unemployment rate, the number of households, how many schools, parks, total businesses there are, how many employees go there during the day, um, households with disability, households without a vehicle, um, and then that age breakup for that population. And so that's our North goal. We're gonna move on to our next sorry, North Gap, we're gonna move on to our next gap, which is the Northwest Gap. And so the same layout with this map, um, we can see those two different colored dots shows us our response um, actuals. And so you can also see with this map specifically that um, we do have some Navy dots that are outside of that green coverage area, that blanket that we have been able to um, get there in less than four minutes. And so that can be um, for a variety of reasons. Um, Maybe it really was the perfect scenario and our apparatus were able to get there and respond quickly. Um, Maybe our apparatus were close by that area when the call came out and they were able to respond from that location. Um, So that kind of varies throughout the different situations. Um, And then again, key facts, we can see the population, um, the employee information, um, and then also households with disability. And the last gap area is the South Gap. And so this South Gap, same thing. Um, We have our two colored dots, the response performance, um, how that lays out, and then the key facts that come from the American Community Survey from the census data. Um, And I do wanna add in the key facts that we are polling are also using the Esri technology that was used for um, the mapping and the station location study um, and formulating that
22: green blanket. McKinsey, I'm going to step in and add just a little bit back to that slide. This is Tom Fagan, Division Chief of Administration. I just wanted to take a moment as we talked about that green blanket or that standards of cover capability that we have. Um, that's being uh, developed based on a software um, tool in ESRI ArcGIS. So the way that that is determined is that they are using a software program based on the roadway network and the and that how that system currently exists to show a simulation of what the computer believes we should be able to reach uh, in distance-wise at four minutes. Because this is a computer-generated simulation, I just wanted to touch on the fact that it appears to be, um, I would say, uh, fairly accurate. Based on the observations of historical performance, and I think this slide is, is pretty indicative of that. You can see uh, where the blue dots are in relation to the red dots and within um, That green shaded area and so because that is a simulation of what capability there is, I think it reinforces the, um, the credibility of using that tool. And that's just a good observation to reinforce the science and research behind this work. Um, and again, our appreciation to the great support of City IT and GIS personnel who we could not do this without. So, just wanted to take an opportunity to plug them and what we believe to be a very effective tool to do this analysis. Thanks, McKinsey. Okay, so so what are we what are we recommending here? Um, First, uh, first of all, I want to encourage you to to dig in uh, to the eight different scenarios. Uh, And this is Tom Fagan, Division Chief of Administration. Again, I apologize. Um, We took eight different scenarios from a zero-cost approach uh, to if we were to not expand in our operational um, coverage, but just potentially relocate resources, uh, how effective uh, could we be in addressing uh, these gap areas? And So several scenarios uh, were worked through that a lean to full coverage um, options and the eighth one is where we found that we were able to address the three of these gaps and that resulted in the relocation of fire medical station number three just a little bit to the north and east. Uh, an expansion station in the northwest uh, which you see there is represented as a star as is the one in the, uh, the north central there and then an additional expansion station to the south, just south of station five. And so you'll see some black dots around each one of those stars. And um, they aren't included in this presentation, but but within the report, there were 69 candidate locations that we evaluated really just at random in order to, to really identify a centroid of risk. And when I say a centroid of risk, if you remember those five dimensions of risk that we talked about earlier. And so weighing each one of those out um, based on density of risk, this is the recommendation uh, using those five categories of risk in order to effectively provide that enhanced coverage. And so in that map, you'll see a darker shade of green, uh, which is the coverage that's gained. Uh, We also do have a little bit of coverage that's lost at four minutes. Um, But that doesn't mean that they won't receive uh, um, people and property in those locations. It doesn't mean that they would not receive the potential of four-minute response times or even longer, but it would be somewhere close to four minutes. Um, But you can see the impact here. I would also add that the roadway expansion and coverage is limited by the existing roadway infrastructure. And so when we look at some of these geographical gap areas, even beyond the city's existing boundaries, as the city builds additional infrastructure, that footprint will likely grow somewhat with that additional infrastructure and roadway. That green, um, darker shade of green is limited by the existing roadway infrastructure that exists. And so with that, we'll talk about the value gained. And this is exciting to to identify as as far as the value gained with this improved response coverage within having the capability within four minutes. Um, There are just over 3,700 households, um, 8,800 in population, 161 businesses, um, over a billion dollars in property value, uh, 490 households with a disability, five households without a vehicle, and over 2,500 employees. And I would add that all of these data points are based on our research that began in 2019. And so that being said, it's already a little dated. Um, This is gonna continue to evolve and it likely has even since this research began. Um, And then covering the value lost, again, this would be evolving as well, Uh, at least within the four minutes travel time coverage, uh, 267 households, 605 population, three businesses, uh, 127 uh, million, and then 30 households with a disability, uh, zero households without a vehicle, and then 18 employees. And uh, want to thank you all for your time tonight. Like we said, this presentation isn't even really scratching the surface. Um, and uh, initially, we had reached out to several of our partners that contributed data to this research to be available tonight. Um, but based on the agenda, um, we thought it was going to be really, really late. So, um, if there's technical questions that we can't answer tonight, we definitely have some subject matter experts that we can reference uh, later uh, to try to get those questions answered for you. But uh, with that, we're open for your questions.
2: Mayor Finkel, questions.
0: Vice Mayor Shipley, um, in your um, response gap areas, the north, the northwest, and the south gap, um, I don't see it specifically on your graph, which is fantastic, by the way. Thank you, everyone. These are incredible. Um, uh, Like the south gap, for example, looks like uh, the number of incidents during that time is significantly larger um, than, say, Um, the Northwest Gap, so in as much as that might affect the way I look at all the other options you showed us in the packet, um, I I, uh, I wonder if you think that matters.
22: (laughs) Of course. Uh, Thank you for that. Um, I want to make sure I answer your question. Uh, as far as the count of incidents, um, we have um numerous different types of risk categories and classes, right? So we talk about fire, EMS, hazmat and rescue. Uh, we do have density of call volume uh in uh what we call planning zone five, uh which is the which is in District Five there just south of fire station five. Um there's also um some I would say correlation with other Um, data that we classify as miscellaneous risk within the report. And so it's definitely um, a gap area that we want to address um, our response performance to. One of the observations that we took is that not only is it a uh, what we would call or describe a distribution response time challenge, but a reliability response time challenge based on the call density, not only there in planning zone five, but also in planning zone one and three, and so we have a slide uh, that shows historical reliability on how often we're meeting the benchmarks within planning zone three and five, overarchingly. And those those two planning zones are where we're not um, comparatively um, arriving just in a global sense and uh, quality standards performance. Um, so I, I would agree that uh, there is a concentration of calls in that area. Um, If you look, we should be providing, or should be capable of providing uh, four-minute response time coverage. We're hoping to see some improvements with that based on um, some of our organizational improvement efforts. Um, I'll go ahead and plug our our new station deployment model we're hoping to roll out next year. In fact, we will be uh, with an engine providing first-due performance and then the rescue tiller. Uh, We should see some, um, I'm hoping to see some improvement and reliable response time performance, but that will be tempered um, based on um, historically increasing call demand. And so we're not sure exactly what that impact looks like, but we are optimistic that we should see some increased reliable performance within planning zone five. Um, But frankly, there are some areas within that planning zone um, that we just aren't able to get to um, just based on pure capability and then in, compounded by reliability challenges.
23: Mackenzie Zell, biomedical analyst. I will also add to that answer. Um, there might be more incidents that have happened in that area. Um, and so that is not something that um, we're unfamiliar with by any means, but again, relative to growth in the last few years, because the data set was 2013
22: to th- 2019. Tom Fagan, Division Chief of Administration. Uh, call demand being just one of the risk factors uh, that we looked at. Um, remember, we talked about five different risk dimensions, uh, but historical LDCFM demand was one of them that was considered in in the um, resource allocation tool used by
21: ArcGIS.
2: Mayor Fingale, I, other I I have questions? I'll jump in first. I just want to confirm what you said early on, um, Chief Fagan that um, that this is just drive time. Basically, we we talked a couple of weeks ago about dispatch and some issues there, and this this doesn't include those sorts of issues, correct?
22: That's correct. Uh, we looked at total response time uh, in that presentation a few weeks ago. And so uh, just a reminder, uh, total response time is the uh, the sum of alarm handling. So when someone call, calls 911, the dispatcher answers the phone and there's a segment of time to before they notify uh, fire medical responders. Once they're notified, alarm handling begins, which is another segment of time, and they are notified and begin moving towards their uh, their vehicles to respond, we call that turnout time. And then as soon as their wheels start turning is where travel time begins. And that is where they are moving from location A to location B for the emergency. And so talk about the things that are influencing each one of those segments of time. And we had shown you that chart uh, from a few weeks ago on uh, performance relative to quality practice standards. Um, And we can bring that slide up again this evening, if you would like to see that again. But we have consistently seen an elongation since our performance back in 2008 uh, to where on several uh, risk levels, including structure fires. Uh, We're now, uh, I believe, six minutes and 20 20 seconds on high-risk fires, which are structure fires with flames showing um, travel time against a quality practice standard of four minutes. We're still always working on technology improvements, uh, turnout time-wise. We're fairly close, although there's always room for improvement and we're always striving for that. We're currently working with our partners in the Emergency Communications Center um, to continue to improve in alarm handling. Um, But the elongation in travel time is not something that we can make up based on historical demand. When I say demand, uh, emergency demand and non-emergency demand. Um, we respond and, uh, to emergency incidents. Our operational crews also go out in the community and perform over 5,000, uh, business inspections a year. Uh, they're also moving throughout the community to do other logistical assignments and perform, uh, public education. In addition to, uh, training, uh, requirements by ISO, um, in addition to their, uh, EMS certification training. And so all of those things impact. Uh, the availability and the location of the units to provide that quality response performance from each one of those locations. And so over time, increasing demand and responsibility on those emergency service units is um, impacting their ability to provide that emergency travel time.
2: Mayor I thank you. That that helps. As I read this report, and I, I certainly need to continue to study it, I mean, certainly the relocation of Station 3 to the north and, and a station out west jumped out at me. I, you know, I guess I lo- looking at the report before I started or just some of the, you know, the green areas and and distances, you know, the one, you know, the, the south area didn't seem like it was going to be um, as big of a problem as it is. Is that, I mean, distance-wise, it doesn't look like is it is it the traffic? Is it getting through those stoplights? Is it what what's causing that travel time? I mean, again, given the distance, and I mean I'm just trying to wonder if there's some other option, or well, not some other option, some other explanation there.
22: Tom Fagan, division chief of administration, that wasn't something that was um really on our radar either. Um in fact Um, It was one of those things that we just found by peeling back layers of the onion, so to speak, and diving into the data um, as as an observation of a gap. And so uh, based on that, uh, we're hopeful, uh, as we're always looking to continuously improve as an organization, that we can continue to chip away and try to improve reliability, but that that always is going to be tempered by evolving demands uh, for service. Uh, on the operations division and those resources to respond within the community. Um, Because if you look at the travel time capability, again, looking at what would be a credible tool, which we believe it to be, we should be able to provide um, more effective or more predictably reliable service at that quality standard level within that area. So um, the bottom line is as far as the exact root cause, I can't tell you what exactly it is other than historically, we have been able to provide um, service at a higher level across the city. And based on our increasing demand of services across the board, it's continuing to erode away our travel time performance within the city. I think there's um, additional population, there's additional traffic. Um, Streetlights, we've incorporated technology solutions to help us with that. GPS preemption systems when we have our emergency warning signals on um, it turns lights green in our path of travel to not only ease the roadway for us, but also vehicles that may be in front of us to allow them to move out of our pathway. We also are utilizing what's called AVL or automatic uh, vehicle location systems, which makes sure that we are sending the closest units to these calls. And so when you look at historically how we would have responded, it just would have been, well, you're in this area. We know that this station is normally here. We're just going to assign that station. That's prior to ABL technology. So we're leveraging more and more technology all the time, trying to maximize and leverage that to make us as fast as possible. But we still are experiencing elongated travel times.
2: Perfect. I appreciate that. I mean, you do think about again, this is the novice speaking. I mean, Power Station Five does seem hard to get out of and around and then down to Iowa you I mean I could see losing quite uh, compared to some of the other stations where you you know you're out on Walker Russo, you're out right on Sixth Street, you know, in the first ten seconds. Um, you know, it probably takes you a little time to get out over to Iowa and, and going south and then experiencing probably twenty third and Iowa traffic makes it hard to get To get south but anyway i know those are things you're working on i just seems like i could see that being an issue um and i guess another novice question here related to some of these especially on the southern end um is there any um what's the word i'm looking for any ability or any cooperation for example um with you know the uh Wakarusa Fire Department, having their location, a a big, you know, right there on the south end there on on 31st, about any ability, you know, to have them them respond more quickly or co-location in their location or anything like that, that there's any sort of overlap we could use to, you know, to bridge the gap as we move forward towards, you know eventually building this even under your plan not till 2027.
22: Tom Fagan division chief of administration um before I take a shot at that one chief coffee did you have comments on that
21: yeah thank you Tom Sean coffee fire chief uh, I will tell you, Mayor that I, we have a strong working relationship with uh, what is now the cons- consolidated, Douglas County Consolidated Fire District number one, and uh, they actually are within the city there at uh, 31st in Louisiana, and we actually perform uh, fire prevention inspections of their location. Um, but I will tell you, they have a little bit different deployment model, and we do rely on them when um, we have large-scale events for mutual aid they're able to uh, call back some of their volunteers and get them into the stations. And we have used them to fill our stations for mutual aid when we're calling in units from uh, Johnson County to staff our stations when we have um, several large scale events happening at the same time. So we do use them as a resource, but unfortunately, particularly for fires, they have one person assigned to their station full time. And so as we look into, at our fire model, the having one person show up on a structure fire doesn't meet what we need for fire suppression efforts. And where we run four people per NFPA 1710, uh, they only have one volunteer, and then they rely on others to respond to the scene.
2: Mayor I yeah, I guess maybe I didn't ask that question very well. I was thinking more like, you know, different idea, but I know in Johnson County, I think, you know, it's the you know you have a co-location of uh the johnson county medical in different fire stations i mean is it possible to put a you know put a truck there with three people is you know add an extension on there you know some lower cost version to get some um scale of having maybe a location there or or some co-location or something like that just curious not
21: I will tell you, Mayor Finkel's eye, that's an interesting concept that we have not uh, thought of before. And so that would be something we could definitely do some investigation on.
2: Just a thought on being able to get something quicker located, maybe a truck or something there. Um, you know, again, not saying we don't eventually need that, but in the, in the short run, maybe having some capability.
21: We do have a similar agreement, Sean Coffee, Fire Chief. We have a similar agreement with the city of Eudora where we locate one of the ambulances in the Eudora city fire department so there is some history related to that
2: type of agreement thank you other questions before i open it to public comment yeah commissioner so i got a
5: question to, to, to shy guess whoever wants to answer this and that is the over time over at least the last 10 years we've seen the number of fire calls to be extremely consistent at about 2,000 a year, with the exception of 2019, where it was 191. But what we've also seen is the medical calls are the ones that continue to increase in volume over time. So would it behoove us to look at the possibility that we need actually more medical units and just more maybe a medical um, facility? Um, Or do these always have to be built together?
21: Tom, do you want to comment on the data part of it?
5: Yes, Tom
22: Fagan, Division Chief of Administration. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Larson. Uh, so that, uh, that expansion of demand for EMS services isn't something that's unique to our community. Uh, that's something that uh, societally um, uh, the United States is facing is an increase of demand on emergency medical services. Um, but one thing that we're, we're proud of is our ability, um, to co-respond, um, it's in our name, uh, Lawrence Douglas County fire medical. And so within the city of Lawrence, um, the fire medical department not only provides the ambulance service, but also the first responder, uh, performance as well. All of our firefighters are advanced EMTs and paramedics. And so, um, very very frequently our ambulances may be out of the county on transports into the Kansas City area or Topeka. And so that demand on first response falls upon uh, our fire apparatus to provide that response performance to where they can begin um, quality care while they're awaiting the arrival of the ambulance. And so um, although we are seeing that increase um, in medical demand, um, and one of the things that we're working towards Um, through our budgetary process is trying to get towards more community risk reduction, um, getting to the root cause of what's causing uh, ongoing requests for EMS. Uh, Digging into the data, we've seen um, uh, frequent um, requests for service at the same location uh, within the city of Lawrence for EMS services. And so getting to the root cause and providing those resources uh, to really address their needs when really they may not necessarily need an ambulance is something that we continue to work through so, through um, other channels within Douglas County and the hospital system uh, to really try to address that need. But that's something that's an ongoing, uh, I would say, a public health issue that we are involved in. And we are working with our partners to try uh, to help temper that. But that is something that we are seeing in Lawrence and Douglas County. Um, and it is a part of our service. But in regards to trying to address uh, response performance based on the increasing demand of EMS, uh, when we look at risk, um, we look at risk um, in those five different dimensions and population density and looking at risk where it exists and not necessarily just historical demand will help ensure that we have a predictably high-performing organization that has the capabilities to provide that quality level of service, not just based on historical data of demand concentration, but making sure that we're positioned to provide a quality of service where the risk exists within our city.
5: Mr. Arson, thank you.
2: Mayor Finkel, I've seen no questions at the moment. I'll go ahead and open this to public comment. If any member of the public would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature, or if you're president at City Hall, let Sherry know.
3: Chris Flowers.
7: Hi, this is um, Chris Flowers, and I was just looking at the the, the southern the map of the I guess gap in the southern part and it looks like a lot of the red dots are around the easy living mobile home and when just I, I don't know what the cities like the emergencies like GPS, systems are like but just when if you use google maps i i don't think it shows the lot numbers if you type in the address it just takes you to the trailer park and i'm i'm just wondering does the city have like maps of the actual lots when it comes to trailer parks or do they just know like it's it's at easy living lots such and such and then they have to find it without using a map because if 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 we had like a map uh, it'd be a lot easier i just from delivering that's that can be confusing cuz there's a few blocks where it just kind of it goes a little bit wonky And also this, I mean, I think we have pretty good firefighters, but like, what are the out the door times? Like, I don't know if that's what it's called for you guys, but for delivery drivers, like where I work, it's called out the door time. Like from when the call comes in till when you're out the door, like what if the reason for some of these red dots is that whatever fire station is taking care of this area, what if they're not out of the door from the moment, like once they get the dispatch till when they're actually out the door, are they, are they as fast as the other fire stations? Like, Do we have any kind of like out-the-door times to compare all the other stations to? Uh, but I, I don't really know. That's just something I'd be asking just just in case i mean a lot of red dots could be an indicator of maybe that that station's a little bit weaker than the others but i i think our our firefighters seem like they're pretty capable so i don't think that's the case but it's just something i'd be asking thank you is
3: there any other public comment on this item that's all the comments mayor
2: Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Sherry. Bring it back to the commission. I I know we did talk about out the door time, I guess, as Chris talked about earlier, but um, can you address the question on, there are all quite a few dots at the, at the mobile home park there. Just any comments about locating and travel time within that park?
22: Yes, Tom Fagan, division chief of administration uh we use mobile data computers and all of our first responding units uh, that have um, mapping um, technology in them and they receive information from the computer-aided dispatch center um, or the CAD, which is located within the emergency communication center. So part of that call vetting process that occurs at the dispatch center is making sure that we have uh, precise locations of where the emergency occurs. They also want to make sure that they have a contact number. Uh, in case there's a disconnection or uh, there is any um, uh, challenges associated with locating the request for services. Um, And I I would say there's always opportunities for improvement in our CAD system, uh, but that system is designed to make sure that we have precise locations and using mapping technology uh, down to the lot number um, within trailer parks and apartment buildings and all of the different risk areas within the city we're always working towards trying to update that. And we work with city GIS to update our map books. Uh, we also use map books within our, our trucks to assist with that on the finer details of, of those types of areas. And so, um, yes, we are uh, doing our due diligence to make sure that we can um, we can provide a uh, as fast as response performance as possible. Um, in regards to out the door times, Um, we are working towards um, the the best practice standards there. Um, I believe, and I don't know, Mackenzie, if you had that slide uh, close by, we were gonna pull that up here just to show you comparably um, where we've been. And this slide may look familiar uh, from our last presentation here just a few weeks ago, but looking at a historical trend line of performance, when we look at, again, those three segments of time, the first one being alarm handling, and that is the red line relative to the benchmark and we're working on that with some process improvement with our partners in the communication center and then looking at turnout time uh, you can see in 2018 uh, we were beating the benchmark and we've had a little bit of fluctuations on that there are several things that influence that um, and we're continuing to communicate with our crews to make sure that they're aware of their performance and we even have the shot clock timers in our apparatus bays now to make sure that they're able to see that countdown clock uh, to make sure that as they're putting their gear on, they're able to see the clock ticking. Uh, and that is the the yellow uh, shaded area there. The dotted line is the benchmark, and then the solid line is our our historical performance based on the best practice standard. And then the last segment is that travel time. Uh, the dotted line uh, again consistently just in the formatting of the of the graph here is the benchmark and then our historical trending performance um, based on over time changes within the system increasing call volumes increasing non-emergency tasks Um, other factors such as uh, community development um, also influence our ability to move throughout the community as well thanks mckenzie
21: yeah, I'm very glad. Thank oh, you. I'm sorry, Sean Coffee, Fire Chief McKenzie. Could you talk a little bit, real quick, about the ESRI um, dashboard we're work, working with the uh, county IT to get up as it relates to turnout time?
23: Yeah. So we are currently working on a project with ESRI, um, and we are working on getting dashboards that will be displayed throughout the stations and um, in admin and that dashboard will show a variety of metrics um, based on that specific location or we can do department-wide metrics and so those metrics might include um, how those crews are doing with their turnout time relative to the benchmark Um, so we're picturing gauges um, so that they can see their actual performance and then also kind of make it a competitive um, competitive edge that crews and stations can work um, and see how each other are doing and kind of uphold each other to that standard. Um, And then it also just creates awareness um, on that dashboard. We're hoping to have a map that shows the incidents that are currently happening, um, our available apparatus, our apparatus that are out of service, whether they're on a transfer, um, a part of a training, uh, those types of things. And so it'll just increase awareness overall for the entire department of the metrics, what's going on right now with real-time data.
2: pink alai. That sounds cool. (laughs) I like that. Um, Okay. Other questions or or comments? It looks like our action is to receive the report and... um, I guess it's to receive the report. <laughs> what's the next? What's the next step? Let's maybe I'll ask that question. Where do you see we go from here? And
21: the next step for us is we'll start working through our uh, normal budgetary process and uh, through the capital improvement process to uh, see about implementing uh, different parts of this analysis. I
2: I thank you on that. Okay. Comments, questions? Um, I guess I'm not sure we need any action since it's to receive it and we have now received it. Sherry, um, am I correct on that? Uh, yes, Mayor. Mayor I, well, I thank you. Okay. And if there's no further comments, thank you very much. Uh, everyone, great presentation and look forward to seeing more of, of, of that work going forward. Okay, that takes us to commission items. Any commissioners have any commission items?
0: Vice Mayor Shipley. Um, I'm sorry, I've been sitting on this for a while um, because we've had so many long meetings. Um, uh, I, uh, one of the, the things I'd like to see us do and we, we've talked, mentioned it very little in the past Is doing perhaps a land acknowledgement for the Indigenous people that were here um, in Lawrence before we were Lawrence. Um, And a group I think makes sense to kind of dig into that work would be the Human Resources Commission. Kind of, I would like to see, when I mean, when I've tried to do research on my own to get a list of all of the Indigenous people um, and their histories in this area i've had a hard time i've seen different lists so i feel like someone needs to kind of parse through some history there um and of course we could just hand it to staff we have very capable at least two very capable staff members one who might even have some very good experience with it but i think it's really important for the public to be involved in it for it to be a um a public engagement kind of aspect of it. And it seems like giving it to one of our volunteer boards is uh, a good space for them um, and for the public to, to engage in that discussion. Um, So I didn't know if anyone else was interested in that. Um, I would just also, I guess also specify in that research, I would hope to kind of see I'll uh, the, the little bit of history of, of the groups, um, the tribes that were here. Um, there's at least two different kind of groups, groups that were here historically, and tribes that were pushed here um, by um, settlers in the East Coast moving towards the Midwest. Um, and so it seems like knowing a little bit about that history, is uh, really important for our community. To me, I would like every kid I stop on the street to be able to name three tribes that were here. Well, you know, So kids to start learning about that in school for us to get that information to, to schools when they're um, doing units on um, uh, the indigenous people of the area. So I didn't know if I had maybe anyone else thought that was a good place to start for that. Obviously not an emergency, not taking up a lot of staff time, hopefully, since we've laid quite a lot on them recently. Um, That's kind of another reason I thought one of our volunteer boards would be a good place to start.
4: This is Commissioner Ananda. I'm familiar with land acknowledgements. I think that they are helpful in centering and um, I don't know what you saw this as, if it was something that we would say at the beginning of every meeting or that would be at the top of every agenda. Did you have some thoughts on that, Courtney?
0: um uh vice mayor shipley um yeah that might be someplace we go with it um in the future i think this would be something that i would hope would take a few months of engagement um and education uh but also a thing i would like to see as we well two things as we um hope to grow our relationship with the the kaw nation i would want us to reach out to the other nations um and have some relationship or discussion with them also. And then if it were me and I had a magic wand, um, I would, you know, we have sister city signs at the at the entrances of our city at all the major gateways. I would also have a sign that acknowledged all of the tribes that were in this area um, whose history we know about and we've, we're trying to cultivate relationships with Um, so those are three things i think i would do with that information besides hopefully sharing it with schools and the public and um finding ways to be informational about it throughout the community
4: this is commissioner ananda um i really appreciate that idea um and i think that i don't i don't know about the Human Rights Commission necessarily, whether or not this would be a project that would be um, something brought to us by the indigenous community, you know, not not pulling that and taking it um, for our own, And whether or not there's a way to partner with um, an organization or a group, or even an individual for whom this is highly personal and something that may already be done. Um, so I would I would say that I don't I I yes but also where do we start I don't know that it's at the HRC um, or if it's you know um, having staff come back with a recommendation on moving forward with that
0: Vice Mayor Shipley I appreciate that comment uh, I also want to say um, we should have to do some of that work um, so I appreciate your I appreciate what you're saying of course I would hope that whoever this is appropriate uh, to task with would reach out to all kinds of partners, um, obviously, Um, but I also think it's our responsibility to do some work. Uh, Yeah, I agree with
4: that. I think, though, that it's a matter of getting permission and a request versus this is our great idea for making things better or whatever. And so you're absolutely right. The work is ours to do. Um, The permission and um, the information is not ours to collect necessarily. So you're right. It is 100% all of those things.
2: I just add you know, when we get to that point, I know my daughter is doing a lot of college research and almost every college she looks at on the front page or very close to the front page, they have land acknowledgements on it. And that's impressed her. And I think that's, you know, again, on our, so our city website, you know, among amongst other locations to make sure that it's, that's there. Uh,
0: Vice Mayor Shipley, um, I'm not, hold on. Let me look, see who else on here. I don't know if, um, Dr. Muhammad is on here. Um, I'm also assuming Tony's here. Um, She has a little bit of knowledge about this. If either one of them has any recommendation or feeling how we could move forward appropriately.
18: The city manager, Craig Owens, I'm happy to jump in on this. Um, if we could just have a meeting or so to uh, come up with some ideas and share those uh, maybe next week, uh, we'd, we'd appreciate that time.
15: Yes, I apologize.
4: This is Tony Wheeler, city attorney. I was having a problem with my computer turning the video on, um, but yes, I, I we could be prepared to come back next week. I can tell you in the conversations that, um, we've had with the Nation about Injuje Wahobe. Um, they are interested in, um, I think they're interested in this concept as well. But um, I think the commission makes a good point. There were other uh, native peoples that occupied this land and making sure that we um, include all relevant tribes would be important. So.
2: Commissioner Shipley, think that's a good step moving forward. Vice Mayor Shipley, sorry. Okay, other commission items? If not, thanks to the City Manager's
18: report. City Manager Craig Owens, um, really only one item on there um, and that is the uh, sales tax report. Um, I've asked Jeremy Wilmuth to only give us those kinds of reports in the future very positive. Um, (laughs) but you know, we're obviously we are monitoring for, to see if it really is a trend or if there's some reporting difference, but it was absolutely good news. Otherwise we have questions on anything. We've got upcoming agenda items on there as well.
2: Mayor uh, i looking at the future agenda items, you know, we had a, a brief discussion a week or so ago about, an interest in the right of way program and learn a little bit more about you know we had a couple speakers and i don't know if that's a full-fledged agenda item or some some report on that but um just didn't see that on the future agenda item so i wanted to throw that out there
6: okay
5: Mr. Arson, I had an item for the agenda. Early question about an item um, that uh, we don't see on the agenda. The future agenda items. Craig, do you have any idea when we're going to see that fire med agreement?
18: Uh, the city manager, Craig Owens. I'm sorry, it should have been on there. Uh, we have it scheduled for next week, next and week. I believe the county. I believe the county is uh, planning to uh, take it up uh, the
2: day after. Okay.
5: Thank you. Mm-hmm.
2: Mayor I. this is a public hearing item. If any member of the public would like to speak on those two items, um, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you.
3: Chris Flowers.
7: Hi, this is Chris Flowers. Um, I just have a quick one, I guess. Um, I didn't see on the upcoming um, agenda items um when is when are you guys going to be accepting like the the results of the the um, government uh study task force and deciding on that stuff it just seems like if there's going to be a deadline i this there might be something that's going to take more than one or two meetings just that seems like there's a lot to discuss with that thank you
20: There's
2: no more comment on that item ma'am. Very good, I. Thank you. Um, bring it back to the commission. I think Chris brings up a good point. Do we have a date yet when we'll receive that report from the committee? The government task force, the. Oh, forgive me. When oh, Dr. Darbanian can come
18: city manager craig Gowens we're working on scheduling that um the work is done um and it's sometime this month so i know that's that we were we were discussing uh when the availability would be so we'll we'll be getting it on this month it may be as as soon as next week but probably um a little bit further down the road thanks mayor
0: vice mayor shipley um I'm not sure even Chris flowers didn't ask this question somewhere. Um, Is it possible um, to uh, put their recommendation out on Lord's listens in the in-between time and see if we get any feedback from the public since uh, maybe hasn't gotten quite as much engagement as had it not been during COVID.
18: This is city manager, Craig Owens. Uh, We certainly can. I think we should design and and talk about how do you want to receive input? I mean, that is one piece and it goes back to the uh, previous agenda item. Uh, We really need to be intentional about what our expectations are for our public engagement so that we can offer kind of a, a, a promise for what that will look like and and they can understand what will we will do with the input that we receive. Um, we haven't had that conversation uh, with the commission, so uh, there could be, there certainly would be public hearings to see um, where we would go with this. There's work that has to be done between now and if we were to put it on the ballot. So I think all those things would be right for a conversation when we uh, post this, uh, but we certainly will be ready to talk about that.
2: Mayor Finkalli, any other questions on the CM Andrews report? If not, that brings us to the calendar. Any comments on the calendar? I, I would uh, note, and I assume all the commissioners have heard about it at least, have not gotten information on it. You know, the the, the chamber, uh, with, along with the Topeka Chamber, is looking to go to Northwest Arkansas um, October whatever it is, 6th, 7th, and 8th or something. Um, I think it's 6th, 7th, and 8th. And so I think all—I I think their intent is to invite all the, the commissioners. Um, so we probably need to put that on the calendar, whether or not we all go and how we deal with that. Um, we'll need to talk about. Um, but I know Chad Lawhorn is planning to go as well, so we might be able to cover some of that. But um, probably need to put that on the calendar, at least as a heads up.
4: This is commissioner ananda um commissioner larson is taking the february or i'm sorry the august 5th ribbon cutting is that the right one commissioner larson okay yeah.
5: correct <laughs> commissioner
2: larson correct okay anything else for the calendar mayor die. if not i'll look for a motion to adjourn and and say that the uh, Commissioner Bowley's reverse psychology worked, so maybe he can uh, either make a second, the motion. <laughs> move to
10: adjourn. Commissioner <laughs> Larson, move to adjourn. Commissioner Boley, second.
2: Uh, Mayor Finkel, aye. Um, and we have a motion by Commissioner Lawson a second by Commissioner Bowley. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Boley? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Nanda, Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye. Passes five to zero. We will see you soon next week. Thanks. (laughs)